Welcome to Poppin' Off, a special episode of Bubbles and Books, where we pop off with some of the most interesting, intelligent, wonderful, amazeballs people in our community. I'm allowed to pop the champagne now. Mm. Really that loud. I didn't, good. You know, I don't know that I, I'm around champagne much when it gets popped. I know. <laughs> it's a little startling. It's a very good choice. Well, Captain and Diet Coke. <laughs> You're just basic. But it's, te- it's 1030 in the morning, so that is not okay. <laughs> okay. Well, me. <laughs> I guess you're still a little responsible. Yeah. Um, we, I'm going to give you um, a mimosa that is two-thirds champagne, one-third orange juice, because I'm biased for the bubbles, and... We drink normally no mosas, which means no orange juice. Thank you for the light sugar orange juice mimosa. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Appreciate you meeting my demands yeah. to get me here. You're our most demanding guest we've ever had. Oh my gosh. I did three fourths champagne for you and one fourth. Yeah, I take care of you. And I'm drinking no mosa. All right. Cheers. Cheers. To um, the best principal Ames Middle School has ever had toasting your era here and kind of mourning the loss for the state well thank you for those kind words Mm -hmm. uh I don't know that I necessarily agree that it was um, I'm the best principal Ames Middle School had but what I will say is that um I was really fortunate to be a principal during time where we had the best staff that I believe Ames Middle School ever had so I'm gonna take one teeny moment and pretend like it's the beginning of the show and say, welcome to Bubbles and Books. This is how Rachel earns her paycheck. She has to, <laughs> we don't keep I was going to say, oh yeah, how they're going to even know who yeah. I am, oh, we'll, right? We'll segment this in. Welcome to Bubbles and Books, Jonas Michael. We are joined by the Jonas Michael. The Jonas Michael. Um, the Principal greatest, extraordinaire. Yeah, the greatest, in my opinion, because I went to Ames Middle School and so did you. The greatest principal to ever serve Ames Middle School. And like before our, uh, who cares what happened? They, you know. <laughs> in between times. Yeah. I mean, who knows? The in between times, the the beginning ages, the Neolithic age. Welcome. And uh, we're toasting your career with no mosas or mimosas because you're very responsible. And um, hoping the best for you as you move on to the next stage, which we're going to ask you about. But um, in the meantime, we want to talk to you about your time here in Ames, Mm -hmm. who you are because you have a very cool story, and what you hope to do moving forward. Uh, We we both had the pleasure to read a recent article that you wrote for Harvard Review. Yeah. Well, it's going to be published in the book, but then we made it available for free. Yes, through Harvard Review. Okay. Oh, I read it. Mm -hmm. Ellen read it. And I was like, Jonas can write. Like, mm. I would read a book written by you. Mm. Like, you do a really good job with your narrative structure because you wrote it in a narrative style to illustrate some of the experiences that you had here in Iowa. So, welcome to Bubbles and Books. Then we have all our little fun conversation. <clears throat> and then she'll put it in some sort of order that makes sense. And then we'll come back to, <laughs> let's get down to business. Yeah. Let's talk okay. about who Jonas is and how Ames ended up, because you're kind of, Like, your accent is so Midwestern, but I know you grew up in Baltimore, right? 
Right outside of Washington, D.C. Right outside Washington, D.C. Yeah, because if any of these Maryland folks hear this podcast, I can't, right? Like, you cannot, cannot mix up, that. you cannot mix up Baltimore and Washington, okay, D.C. Okay. Baltimore is its own country. Okay. okay? <laughs> okay. He's from near D.C. <laughs> I'm right outside of the Washington, D.C. area. <laughs> um, but your family's origin story, I only know a little bit about it. But tell us a little bit about where where your family originated from and yeah. how you ended up outside DC because it's what I little I know of it is fascinating. I think um it would be pretty mind blowing for a lot of people to know your guys' story. And, yeah. And then you have to tell us how the hell you got to Iowa. Absolutely. Like okay. multiple times, right? Like Yeah, yeah. You can't get away. <laughs> yeah. I think this is gonna be my final move. Like like I'm putting it on podcast official. Okay. When Jonas Michael moves to Iowa or moves back to Maryland, excuse yeah. me. Uh he has a 99.99% chance of never moving again. Of never moving back to Iowa. So. Right. I mean, that's not a never. So that's not a 100%. I've learned some hard lessons along the way. Uh, but the chances of me moving back is about 0.0001. Okay. Um, yeah. So, um, and we can get into that. Yeah. Um, yes. It, for uh, the primary reason is that where I'm at in my life, um, I no longer want to live in an environment that um, continues to perpetuate racist policies and laws, homophobic, transphobic, all of those things, right? Like I no longer want to live in a state where people are being harmed through policies and laws, right? Like I don't want to be a part of that. Right. I um, applaud you for mm -hmm. your courage in doing that. And mm -hmm. I really, especially considering where your, your home and your mm -hmm. base and your people, mm -hmm. like your family, your friends, they are somewhere else yeah, yeah, where you would not have to live in an environment as toxic as this. Mm -hmm. I always say, unfortunately, my foundation is built in concrete here, mm -hmm. especially now that we open dog eared books. But yeah. there are moments where it is hard to claim, like to say I'm an Iowan mm -hmm. and a, we all have a choice. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. quite a few families are having to consider really hard choices mm -hmm. for yeah. their trans kids mm -hmm. As a woman mm -hmm. with four daughters, is this a safe place for my children mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to grow up? Mm -hmm. But yeah, tell us where you grew up. Yeah. So I nationality-wise, I'm from Eritrea. It's a country located in East Africa, right outside of Ethiopia. It used mm -hmm. to be a part of Ethiopia. Um, um, similar cultures. Um, won't get into all the details because I'm not sure, you know if uh, your listeners would be able to follow it. But long story short, um, we gained our independence from Ethiopia in 91. Um, and my parents um, actually met um, in the war, uh, the liberation war between Eritrea and Ethiopia. So Eritrea and Ethiopia had the longest civil war in African history. It was 30 years. It was considered wow. a civil war because Eritrea was a part of Ethiopia at yeah. the time. Um, and so for 30 years, we were in active war. Like that's all the country knew. So my mom was born into the war. My mom ran away from home at the age of 16 to go join the army to go fight in the war for liberation. Wow. Um, and that's where she met my dad. My dad was actually her commanding officer. Um, I'm you sure need to write their story <laughs> as a book. <laughs> so they met on the battlefield. They got married on oh the battlefield. Oh, my God. Like, there was no official wedding ceremony, right? Like, it was literally, yeah. I don't know. I don't even know how the ceremony went down. And so, you know, it's so funny because years later, you don't, you know, when you grow up with it and, 
all like a lot of your cousins and family, like that's all they know. Right. Like there was nothing special about our story growing right. up. And then it wasn't until you start becoming an adult and you realize like, yeah, most people's parents don't fight in wars. <laughs> <laughs> most people's parents don't run away as a child right. to go fight for their country. So That's I say all this to age, say, yeah. like, I come from a stock of family members that have fought their way to freedom uh, and have really um, always been on the side of justice. Right. Yeah. So anyways, you know, they get married. Uh, they conceive me. Oh, you're the oldest? <laughs> well, I'm not. So I have an older half sister okay. on my dad's side. But mm-hmm. so um, my um, my mother, I'm the oldest for my mother. Mm-hmm. And my parents are married and they're still together. Yeah. Um, but my dad had a daughter prior to my parents meeting. Right. So anyways, uh, so once my mom got pregnant, they decided like, it, they can no longer stay in the war. Right. Um, and so they had to escape the country and flee to Sudan, which is a neighboring country. Um, and so, of course, when you're in war, right, like this is guerrilla warfare, right? This is, you can't just get on a plane and go to Sudan. Right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> you can't just get on a bus or drive a car there, right? So you're like sneaking around at night. You're 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 walking. So the you're... Um, all in all, it took about two weeks, the journey from Eritrea to Sudan uh, for my mom and dad. It took about two weeks. My mom was deathly ill by the end of the trip because she was pregnant. She uh, Near the end of the trip, she was surviving off of rotten oranges. Oh, my gosh. Um, you know, so like the the ability to fight their way through adversity, right? Like all of those things, like all of those things were instilled in us since from a young age. And I give total credit. I have amazing, amazing parents, and they've always taught us to fight for what was right. Um, That's so I, really beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Like so what then, a legacy. Yeah. So then uh, we came to America when I was two. So I have no memory of Africa or mm-hmm. um, you know that part of my life. And so they came to Maryland. Um, they literally, literally, the statement of we came here with nothing but the clothes on our back. That's their story. That's their story. And can you imagine coming to a country where you don't know the language, you don't know the people, your family, you're leaving them all behind I can't. to start a new life with no, like, I can't, like, I get scared about thinking about m- maybe moving to like California, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, I'm like, how cool would it be to live in California? Like, I, I feel like internally I'm a San Diego dude, but like, I can't afford to live there, yeah. right? Like, but there's so much fear fear that exists for me to make that type of a move. Right. And so here you have people who don't even speak the, like don't have even an education in their own country. Right. So anyway, so they started their life. Yeah. Yeah. So they started their life in Maryland. We grew up in Maryland, went to school through Maryland, graduated from college in Maryland, actually had two degrees from two different universities that I was attending at the same time. Really? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I was double major, but literally at two different universities what that were, were 13 miles apart so i was able to manage it um so from the university of maryland eastern shore go hawks um i graduated with a bachelor's in sociology okay and then from salisbury university um i graduated with a bachelor's in social work so my initial career path i was looking to get into like the counseling world be a therapist or a psychologist um but i did my um Uh, So as a social worker or as a when you're getting your bachelor's in social work, you have to do an internship. And I did it at a high school. And that's when I got introduced to public school. And that's when I fell in love. Not so much that I wanted to, like, redo my major because it was the final semester of my senior year. (laughs) But I thought, okay, so how do I find my way into education after I received my bachelor's degree? Because I was in my final semester. And so I thought the best solution here was to be a school counselor. 
And so I went back um, to school uh, or I went straight to school, um, which brought me to Iowa. So I came to Iowa, to Iowa State University to get my master's in school counseling. I almost didn't come because the program doesn't exist. We were the last cohort. Wow. I was going to say, I don't think they have a program anymore. So what happened was, you know, I had interview. I flew out here for the interview. Back then, you used to have to do interviews. Did you know that? No. To get into grad school? And to get into grad school. Wow. Now they're like, please come. Now they're just like, just send in some paperwork. And Give us your money. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, no. So I flew in, had an interview with the professors, other grad students, you know, because they were only accepting like 11, 12 people at a time. It wasn't a money factory type of a okay. institution, right? So great. Accepted it. Rejected all my other offers. I said, you know what? I want to go somewhere different. I wanted to like, (laughs) yeah, this is true. Like, because people always say, well, why Iowa? You could have done this in Maryland. I wanted, like, I just felt like I stayed so close to home for my undergrad that I wanted to experience a different part. Yeah. So where I grew up Mm -hmm. in Maryland, it's majority black and brown, right? Prince George's County, if you research it, it is actually the richest black county in the United States. That's so cool. It's the wealthiest black county in the United States. And so I got to see a whole spectrum of what it looks like to be diverse within African-American community. That's so cool. And so I had these great experiences, but what I didn't have experiences with, with white people, (laughs) white folks, (laughs) all spectrums of white. Yeah. So I came to Iowa and man, and how long did it take for you to be like, what the fuck was I I, thinking? Let me me take a sip before. (laughs) So yeah, I came to Iowa for grad school and honestly, I'm not going to lie. I loved it. I loved it. I loved the experience. Um, at the time that I came to Iowa, the def- like, you know, Iowa nice was real. That's why we moved back well, here. You know, I used to. Or at least I thought it was real, you know. Yeah. And, and understand I say this realizing that my perspective is as a white person who grew up in Iowa. Mm-hmm. But I always felt like Iowa had a reputation of being like podunk, you know. And I would be like, no, Iowa is actually a lot more progressive mm-hmm. than you would think. Mm-hmm. And I was always really proud of for being such a white state being a state that seemed to be on, you know, the front of a lot of major issues in a good way. Yeah. And so to watch us backtrack the way we have is heartbreaking because it's like, I used to be proud to be from Iowa Let's, and now I'm not. But can, can we pause and talk about this for a moment? Yeah. Yeah. So when I moved to Iowa, you know, I had to bring my stuff. And so my dad came with me. And so we're like in the grocery store, right? Like we're shopping, we're doing all these things. You're going to pop it? Yeah. Go for it. <laughs> keep that <laughs> uh so we you know so we're doing the what you do when you take your child to college, grad school i guess in this case right like we shop for the apartment we find furniture mm-hmm. we go to target we do all those things right mm-hmm. and every encounter we had the applebee's what we were like oh my these people are nice is this real mm-hmm. and at one point i remember having a conversation with the lady at the register at hy-vee and it was so, well, before I even got, like, before it was my turn, like, the person in front of me, I said, why are they going so slow? It was because they were talking. Chatting, yeah. I was like, can you stop everyone. talking? Because I got places to go. I didn't. <laughs> but but it was so uncomfortable because I was like, is she going to talk to me for that long, too? And she did. So then when we walked out, my dad was like, these people are so nice. And that's when it dawned on me. He's like, yeah, th- it, it's It different. might be the way people are. Yeah, yeah. it's different. And so, and so when you think about it, like I was proud to like when people back home would be like, what are you doing in Idaho? It's like, first of all, it's Iowa. Bravo. Right. And and, and I'd be like, you would actually 
be surprised at how progressive the state is. This right. is back in 2004, right? Yeah. Like when I first moved. And, and don't forget, we put Obama in office. Right. Don't forget, yeah. we were one of the first states to legalize gay marriage. Right. You know, all of these yeah. things. And if you look back even further, yeah. you know, there were a lot of things that Iowa was doing first. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what the fuck happened? <laughs> they were champions for public education. They right. Were. The ITBS. Everybody used to measure yeah. themselves against yeah. our standards. Iowa used to be, for many years, ranked the number one state in education. Mm-hmm. I've been trying to get my sister to move home from Denver, Colorado, which admittedly, every time I go, I'm like, oh, it's so cool. I get it. But I'm like, you know, it's such an easy place to raise a kid. You know, your family's here. But then I looked up the education stats and Colorado is doing better than Iowa. Yeah. So significantly, I think. So Colorado. So I just I was just there not too long ago in Denver. Um, so I like did several cities um, once. I, <laughs> I need a vacation from vacation. Yeah. Like I'm like burnt out. You need to go to your pool party. I know. That's I mean, you know, I'm like. Uh. So anyways, so Denver was one of the places that I went to. And when I walked away from Denver, uh-huh. first of all, I met so many Iowans that relocated yes. there. It's like a stepping stone in an Iowan, yeah. a young Iowan's yeah. life now. I did not recognize, because um, th- this past trip was my second trip to Denver. The first uh-huh. time I went was for a conference. Right. The second time was for vacation. Uh-huh. And so I didn't realize how progressive Denver was. Yeah. I didn't realize how fun it was. There was just so much happening. They also have pot. They do. You know. They do. They are progressive. <laughs> they're, they're, it's legal. So then what I learned is that Denver is like a city that's just growing, busting mm-hmm. at the seams because mm-hmm. there are so many people relocating there. And so um, I'm almost afraid to say this, but I, you know, I wrote that post about being authentic. So I'm going to do it. When I walked away from there, I was 90% certain that next summer I'm going to relocate to Denver. Like I fell in love with Denver that much. It is amazing. Mm-hmm. It has food. It has culture has the mountains do you mm-hmm. like to hike um i did in hawaii <laughs> <laughs> with a cocktail in my hand <laughs> looking at the ocean no it was like a it was a dormant like volcano slash yeah. mountain yeah right? yeah it, it was cool <laughs> i love <laughs> i don't that. know that i would fly anywhere just to hike right like that's what people do um but if i'm there i would definitely Enjoy Hi. the outdoors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You would enjoy ish. the outdoors. Yeah. Ish. Okay. <laughs> Gosh, I haven't been to Denver in a really long time. Now I'm in a job, and you are now in a situation where you are free from mm-hmm. the structure of public education. Mm-hmm. Where, like, sometimes she and I will be working on stuff in the afternoon, and we're like, you know what? This calls for some bubbles. Mm-hmm. We'll just, like, have a little drink at lunch or whatever. I don't need it in this job, but shit, when I was a teacher, if I could have had a little flask in the desk or something, Mm -hmm. that probably would have done me some good. (laughs) Nice to know. I never felt that way. (laughs) You weren't like these kids. Well, so here's the thing. Drinking is not a thing for me. Yeah. Even though, you know, given, given the... Uh, previous uh, maybe news coverage unfair <laughs> biased coverage I might have had in the past if you ask my true friends they will tell you Jonas is not much of a drinker I drink socially yeah mm-hmm. you go out and yeah, you do, yeah I go out yeah. and I drink right but at home you don't no so I, I've never like I don't first of all I don't drink champagne like you guys are forcing yeah, me but that's okay oh I hope you do I mean okay. you know We're whatever corrupting influences in yeah. case you're you didn't down, know you're going I mean, to a pool we, party it doesn't matter we got orange juice uh, light orange juice so it's yeah. it's making it acceptable so it's like it's no cutting calories. it yeah 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 um, so but so like at home like when people be like 
first of all, I don't drink wine at all. Like, mm-hmm. I think wine is gross. So, like, I don't drink Kinda beer. Coke. I don't really drink beer. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I will have it if if that's what's available. I but I'm just not a beer drinker, right? Um, and so, and I don't drink at home. Like, it's totally a social thing, right? Mm-hmm. And so, I am a lightweight for that. Um, reason and in fact in college some of my friends i'm kind of embarrassed to say this uh used to call me one hit wonder oh because you put one shot one drink in me and i just got silly silly my friends still talk about the first time i got drunk which was on smirnoff ice probably one bottle mine's was 99 apples (laughs) (laughs) I was apparently doing Do we know anything? Do you all know anything about 99 apples? Yeah, look it up. It was 99 proof. That was the first. Oh my God. That was my first drink in college, and I hated it. I hated See, it. I rightfully said so. I don't really go out that often. I think because I'm an introvert and I don't like. You're not an introvert. I am a hundred. This is my first introvert. curse word of this interview. I, I'm gonna call bullshit on that. You are oh, not an introvert. Yes, I am 100 percent an You're introvert. Not. She is. You're not. Do you know how to tell? Didn't you just say earlier that I was quiet? Because 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 I was your boss. No, no, that wasn't because oh. you were my boss. That's how she that is with everyone. Introvert. All right, who am I to tell Ellen who she is? Okay, go ahead. You're so, an introvert. Okay. <laughs> okay, if you were an extrovert, a very fun-sounding Friday night might be going to Estas. Stop it. Okay. If you're, or if you're an extrovert, if you're an introvert, it might be not that I wouldn't have fun going to Estas, but mm-hmm. my idea of like recharging would be like, I'm gonna sip on myself and mm-hmm. I'm gonna listen to a podcast. And I'm gonna build this Lego set. That is like a perfect Friday night for her. That's like my perfect Friday night. And I'm a very social person. Like You I'm, are an extra. I need people around me. Yeah. Right? Like, I just need the company of people. And so, like, if I am by myself on a Friday night, like, I'm like, what's the move? Like, what are you all doing? Like, what's going on? Like, You're just, a true I, extrovert. Yeah, I am. I'm a social butterfly. You are an extrovert. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I love that. Yep. So, yeah. Okay, are we going to get to business? I guess, Because right? he's got a pool party. Have a pool how, party. <laughs> how long were you principal of Ings Middle School? Yeah. Um, so, um, I don't know what's happening on my phone because it's blowing up. But, um, so, I... I feel like I'm in a very important no, discussion right now. Yeah, well, I know it's not important because, you know, I don't have work. <laughs> <laughs> I'm unemployed at the moment. <laughs> Uh, so, okay, so I first became principal of Ames Middle School in January of 2019. Right before right? the pandemic. So no, 2018. One, 2018. Yep, January of 2018 is when I was uh, my first day on the job. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so. And you were was, reeled back. It was January 2019. Was it 2019? I remember. Yeah. No, because COVID happened in February. Of- but that was the next year. That was the next year. It was oh, January okay. of 20, okay. or yeah. March of 2020. Okay, yeah. So yeah. you started in January of 2019. 2019, yeah. And Four and a half you, years. You had to be um, begged to come back. I wouldn't so use lay that. the groundwork. Okay. Uh, Ellen told me begged. Uh, they really needed you. So um, what... Well, you had left Ames. Yeah. You were back and you were living with your family. Mm-hmm. You're like around your family mm-hmm. and you were where you wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And I remember when they announced you as the principal, um, we we had been speculating. Yeah. Okay, because we were in this. I want to hear the, the, the other side, yeah. right? So we were kind of in this difficult moment of. Well, un- give your listeners some background information. So when I started <laughs> right? at the middle school as the juvenile court liaison, it was 2015. Mm-hmm. And then I moved to the classroom. And in that time, you had got moved back mm-hmm. um, to Maryland. 
2017. So yep. I moved back uh, June, no, July of 2017. I moved back to Maryland. Yeah. And I didn't actually really interact with you much after you hired me because you weren't, your home base was not at the middle school. You mm-hmm. were in district offices. Mm-hmm. So I knew you, but like not super well. Um, but we went, our principal left um, and she hadn't been there a real long time. And then we got um, another principal, didn't work. Um, and so he left that year, like 20, fall of 2018. It was very unexpected. Um, and so we were just kind of thrown. And then we had like interim principal for a while. Um, and our staff was like very divided and clicky. And there was a pretty negative feeling at the middle school. Mm-hmm. And then they announced you. <laughs> I think it was December. You came in January. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember BVD and I had been speculating for a while and you were not one of the people we had speculated. And as soon as they announced it, she sent me a text message of one word. It said curveball. <laughs> um, I was like, I think we were all like the very first time you got in front of the staff, we were all like, oh my God, a grown up is here. <laughs> and um, I think for me, the thing where I was like, cause I, I was still like slightly scared of you. I thought you might fire me for some reason. But the first time I knew, like, he's got this in hand and this is going to be okay, is we were we were in a staff meeting and there was some sort of, you were going to show us something on Infinite Campus, which is this, like, system we all use. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't working. Like, the update hadn't happened. And in the past, the principal probably would have been like, oh, okay, I guess we're moving on. You're like, no, I fucking told them. You know, you call district office, you're like, you need to fix this right now. I'm in mm-hmm. the middle of a meeting. I'm going to train my staff on this. Mm-hmm. And you got it up and, and going. And it was like, oh, here's a person who's just going to take control of the situation, follow through. Um, and you also put a big emphasis on our staff culture. Like you will, you you press pause on a lot of the professional development stuff to to address the issues that were happening happening interpersonally between all of us. Mm-hmm. And we we got in a much better place because of it. Yeah. It, it's an awesome school. <clears throat> And great people. And and there was this moment, I think, where we all sort of realized, like, we don't want it to be like this. Mm -hmm. We want to know each other better. We want to get along. We we want the best thing for students. Mm -hmm. So why all this division and... Yeah, you guys were operating in trauma. Remember we we talked about... And you did. You said that to us. And we were like, oh my God, you're so right. Yeah, yeah. So what convinced you to come back? So... So my side of it, right? So I I shared a little bit with I think the staff, but I didn't always give them I didn't give them the full picture just because you know um, it wasn't appropriate. The timing wasn't appropriate. So um, I remember the day I got the phone call, November thirtieth. <laughs> so well, it was very. The reason why I remember it was my birthday. Oh my god! <laughs> so I took the day off. I was working in Maryland. I was at a middle school in Maryland, and. I took the day off because I was I always like, tell people you shouldn't work on your birthday. Why, right? I do as a principal. Right. Not my, for my 40th. I was in Jamaica. Good. <laughs> Very appropriate. Right? You know. So, um, so it was no it was November 30th and um I was at Starbucks and I was there with one of my cousins and we were just just chatting it up and then um, the plan for me was to then go from there to the hospital my mom was in the hospital at the time she's fine um, but at the time she was yeah so while we're there I get this call on my cell phone and it says like Washington State but but there's no name so I was like I don't know anyone from Washington right and so as I I so I almost let it go to voicemail but I was like well let me just answer it really quick it it won't be that long of a Mm -hmm. call 
So I answer it and she's like, hi, is this Jonas? And I was like, yeah, it is. And she's like, my name is, I said, what? And like immediately as she said, I was like, why does that name sound familiar? And which was the current superintendent at the time. And she, she was new. Um, so I hadn't met her because I had already left under the previous superintendent, mm -hmm. but the name sounded familiar. So then when she said, I'm the uh, superintendent of whatever Ames Community School District. And I was like, oh, yeah. And then I quickly go to, why is she calling me? Right. <laughs> you know? And at the time, if I'm being honest, I was thinking, oh, it must be, it, did the person who replaced me, it, are they having issues? And she's trying to get like some inside information about right. the job or something. You know, like that's yeah. where my mind went to yeah. because I had no idea at this time anything that was going on. That was happening in Ames. Like I had friends that even taught at Ames Middle School and none of them updated me. Yeah. yeah. I think like a couple of days, a day or two before that, they had let go. The, there was no longer a middle school principal. Right. I don't, you know, like I don't know the details of it. Uh, but so. So when she was like, um, well, I'm meeting with uh, my district office staff. I'm in here with so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. -and -so. These are all my former colleagues. They're like, hi, happy birthday. And wow. they're, like, they're like, and I was like, yeah, thank you. She's like, well, the purpose of my call is that we no longer have a middle school principal. And um, everyone at district office says that you would do a good job if you came back to be the principal. And I said, can I call you back? <laughs> I'm actually at Starbucks right now. <laughs> uh, uh, let me give you a call back. And so I hung up the phone and uh, my cousin goes, who, who is that? And I go, it's the superintendent of my former school district. And she's like, well, what does she want? She's like, she asked me if I would be interested in being the middle school principal. And she's like, and what are your thoughts? I said, like, oh, hell no. <laughs> I, I'm not going back. Like, I just moved back yeah. to yeah, Maryland. Yeah, you hadn't been back that long. Yeah, like I just moved back to Maryland. It was a year and a half. I had just been in Maryland for a year and a half. And so then she's like, but didn't you say you wanted to be a principal? I said, yeah, but not like this <laughs> and not there. <laughs> and so anyways, long story short, I go to see my mom and I tell my mom and dad because my dad was there. And I was like, yeah, so I got this weird phone call from this lady. And, da, 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 da. and I just knew when I was telling them that they're going to be like, no, because when I was in Iowa, the, you know, for all the years that I was in Iowa, they just kept saying, come home, come home, come they home. They missed you. Yeah. yeah, that's what I'm doing to my family. Right. And so I'm at the hospital. I'm telling them because I just knew they were going to shut the conversation down. Right. Yeah. And they go. But isn't that what you wanted to do? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, but it's Iowa. Uh -huh. That means so you, by that point, you were jaded. Yeah. About I, the well, state of where the state was going. No, 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 no. Not yet. Not at all. But not it was at away all. from family. It was away from family. Okay. It was away. From, so just to put some context into place, my brother had passed away. Mm. And so I needed to be close to family mm -hmm. to be able to support them, to right. do all this stuff. So, mm -hmm. no, when I had left Iowa you the first time. You still felt good. When I left in 2017. Mm -hmm. It was not a bittersweet moment. Mm -hmm. It was bitter. Mm -hmm. I loved my job. Mm -hmm. I loved what I was doing. Mm -hmm. I loved the district. I loved the people I worked with. I had great support. Like, I loved everything about it. Mm -hmm. I came back home because... For family. For family purposes, mm -hmm. right? And so, because um, at that time, when I moved back, my brother was just ill. He he was still alive. And then two months after I moved back, and so thank God I moved back. Yeah. Two months after yeah. I moved back, he passed away. And so now I'm there as an emotional support for my parents. Mm -hmm. So I just knew when I said this, right, given the context and the situation mm -hmm. that our family was in, they needed you. They there. would be like, ah, <laughs> and they were like, you need, you need to go. I was like, no, 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 Iowa, folks. Oh, mm -hmm. and I was like, 
Idaho. It's Idaho. Remember? <laughs> <laughs> like, Potatoes. You know. Even further. <laughs> so then they're like, no, you, you really, if this is what you want to do, like in the opportunity, great opportunity presents itself, you need to go. And I wasn't convinced, right? So I was like, I'm going to make it difficult. So I, I engaged in negotiations with the superintendent. Good for and you. I was like, I want all of these things. And I was mm-hmm. thinking they're not going to meet these demands, right? Um, and what I learned in that moment is that when um, someone reaches out to you and mm-hmm. offers you a job without mm-hmm. interviewing for the job, mm-hmm. they're, they need you more than you need, you need them. them. Mm-hmm. And so then that's where the power. So I negotiated all these terms and they met every single one of them Great. and still wasn't satisfied for myself because I just didn't want to make the move back. It took 11 days from the initial conversation to the point where I said, okay, I will. And then she just asked that I keep it quiet until it gets in front of the board. And so crazy enough. So when I had agreed to it, um, things were okay in our household and our family. And then my uncle ended up having a stroke Mm -hmm. um, due to a tumor. So I was literally in the hospital while my uncle was in a coma when the board was deciding. And when you all found out that I was going to be the next principal. And Mm -hmm. so all these text messages, like I, I didn't watch the board meeting, but I knew when it was announced because my phone literally blew up like with (laughs) 50 messages, right? Like, welcome back. We all knew who you were, you know, but no one expected you to come back. So my return, so my, when my departure initially I loved every moment of my career. Like I, to this day, I will tell you that was the best job I ever had. I was living my true um, dream. I was making, I was changing the trajectory of lives, right? We were, we were finding kids who had already dropped out of high school and re-engaging them into the system. You know, we could have just, you know, I could have just said, you know what, I'm going to wipe my hands of them because mm-hmm. they've already made the decision. To, no, we were actively going and finding kids who left our system and wow. saying, hey, we have another learning opportunity for you through this alternative pathway or this program or whatever. And we can get you across the stage. That's amazing. Right. I love that. Yes. And you were so good at it. And one of the even though I thought you hated me in that interview, one mm-hmm. of the things I really appreciated about you is I remember saying, like, I don't want to be a disciplinarian. Mm-hmm. Right. There are already if, if kids are involved in juvenile court, there's already somebody doing that. Mm-hmm. I don't th- that's not how I would envision my role mm-hmm. in working with these kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you agreed and you were like, yeah, you, that's not how we're going to deal with these kids. Mm-hmm. And it was all about relationships and support mm-hmm. and like connecting with their families. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as opposed to like, I'm just going to throw the book at you because you fucked up. Yeah. So and and let me tell you how much of a difference we made in that program um, and and just like um, so when I first took over the position, the graduation rate, you can look at at the Iowa Department of Education. This is all public record. Right. The graduation rate for the Ames Community School District um, at that time when I first became the director of student service, it was like 92 percent, which is pretty exceptional. Right. It's great. Wait, let me get there. Right. So. That was above the state average. So no one literally is blinking an eye at this. Right. But when you disaggregate the data, what we found out was that only 53% of our black students were graduating. That was horrific. That is horrific. So visually in my mind, I was thinking we can line up 10 black kids in front of us and literally half of them would not be crossing the stage at Ames High School. 
Right. And that was problematic. There's no reason that so it's should easy be to bury. Them in that yeah. Way. So it, it's easy to bury that type of information when and you do don't do nothing just, about yeah. it. Yeah. You don't look at it. And so we, I, I just couldn't sit with that. You know, I just couldn't sit with that. And so we began to actively look at and reform our program to re-engage students into our system and not into the system that already failed them to begin with. Right. Mm-hmm. Like we had to provide a continuum of services. Mm-hmm. When I left, when the graduation rates were reported. Mark, my, this is fact. So I want your listeners to go on the, <laughs> right? You can look this up. I'm not making up this data. The graduation rate for black students was higher than white students. It was 95%. From 53% to 95%. That's amazing. Right? And so it shows that, you know, like, so the reason I share that is that I literally knew I was making a difference. Because when you look at the data, you look at the research of high school dropouts, and what happens to them in this world, it's really horrible, right? You know, they're more likely to be locked up. They're more likely to um, uh, abuse drugs. They're more likely to be in abusive relationships. The stats on high school drops out, it's really horrific. And I didn't want to be a part of a system that just acknowledged that we have these dropouts and have done nothing to re-engage yeah. them. Yeah. Have they continued the work that you put forth? Um, so unfortunately, the position that I once held, um, um, you know, I had a predecessor, and then after that, um, they the position was eliminated. Um, so I don't, to be honest with you, I don't know where the specific um, stats are with uh, graduation rates, um, primarily because I'm a principal and at mm-hmm. the middle school. Um, but I think that we've been able to maintain fairly high, but not at like not nine, the level yeah. where when you have someone who's mm-hmm. actually doing the work. Yep, yep. But I think that they've they've they, they've maintained pretty high graduation rates in our district. Um, primarily because of the equity work that we're also doing within the district. So, which leads us to mm-hmm. so, yeah. There's there's a lot to talk about when it comes to that mm-hmm. because we kind of embarked on this equity journey while mm-hmm. I was there in an in an intentional way, mm-hmm. more broadly. Mm-hmm. Ellen, do you know how that work came to the district? How I'm asking you. Do you do you know? Um, I think it was ASAP. Okay. Um, which was a group of um, mainly parents, mm-hmm. uh, black parents, mm-hmm. after the 2016 election, mm-hmm. and it sort of was an, a branch off of the Ames Progressive Alliance. They had met at this Ames Progressive Alliance mm-hmm. sort of community forum after the election that was like, where do we go from here? Mm-hmm. And they did the work of showing up in board meetings mm-hmm. and being like, this data is a fucking travesty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those are my words, not theirs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're going to do something about it. Mm-hmm. And so um, from my perspective, that was the first time that I was really seeing a concerted effort mm-hmm. of like, no, we're not going to ignore mm-hmm. that we are underserving um, our black and brown mm-hmm. kids. Yeah. It's always cool to hear um, other perspectives of how. Um, and I don't know if that's yeah. all of it. I think yeah. there was there was probably more to it, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and we definitely then had leadership in place that was willing to undertake that work. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sad to me to see the legislation and the tone of the conversation in this community, knowing what we when I left, we had I mean, we were like doing the work. Yeah. And, and that's not to say that there wasn't a lot of progress yet to be made. Mm-hmm. But we were actively engaged in the work. And I think the middle school, probably more than any other building, from my perspective. Um, and to see this 
the way that our state has going and the limits that have been put on that work and the people in our community who have taken it upon themselves to like not have a fucking life and spend their time, you know, beating up on educators who are trying to do right by kids. Mm -hmm. It's, it's so disappointing because I felt like, like there was some traction. There was, there was definitely traction that was taking place. I think about some of the people that I taught with who, when I first started teaching there, I don't think ever would have really engaged with that work that by the end of my time there, I was having regular conversations with them. Yeah. And, and that's due to your leadership, Nicole Coronado, amazing leader Mm -hmm. in equity work in our building. Mm -hmm. Um, where we were, I felt like as a staff, we were largely not everyone, but largely on board. Mm -hmm. So I'll give you my perspective. Okay. Tell me your perspective. So my perspective of how this work started, um, so I was the director of student services and um, I had a few counselors. I'm not sure if they were, so no, it wasn't. So I had a counselor and at the time, who's uh, this person is now an administrator, at the time, like teachers who were going through their admin program um, at Iowa State. And they had to do like some type of project, which required them to like dig into some data and do a needs analysis or whatever. And they were having a difficult time capturing or getting that data from the district at the time. I think this was about. I twi- vaguely kind of yeah, remember so this. Yeah, so I think this is yes, about 2014-ish, yeah. right? Um, and so um, a few of them had then reached out to me and said, hey, we're we're needing this data. It was graduation data, right? Like and amongst other things. And we're having a hard time getting the district to turn over this data. And I said, oh, I can actually easily get this data to you because a lot of what you've requested is actually public information. Like you can actually, they just didn't know you can find it on the Department of Education's mm-hmm. website. Um, where, where they were struggling was that, you know, when you report out data, if you have um, a, any subgroup that has less than an N, of 10, you have to redact the data. And that's how the DE uh, reports it out. But we also have to report it out that way too. So anyways, um, I gathered that data for them. And in that data that I gathered was the graduation rates. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't, cause I was just new. So actually that was, it was before that. It was in, it was like 2011 because I had just got, a, got on the job or whatever. And so it was like the first time I looked at the data disaggregated. And so then I was like, oh, hell, we got a problem here. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I had a conversation with the superintendent. I was like, are you aware that these things, had, you know, mm-hmm. were happening? And he's like, no, is that an anomaly? I said, no, it's a trajectory. Mm-hmm. And it's game because the year before it was 60 yeah. percent. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so he said, do whatever you need to do. So. um so what, so those uh, a few staff members that were part of Iowa, I had just finished the Iowa State program, mm-hmm. right? And so they're, they were the, like the next cohort or the mm-hmm. second after me after, or whatever. And so um, I had then um, visited with some of the professors um, that was in that program um, because I was working with these folks that were um, trying to get some of this data and try to work on these projects. And we were starting to just recognize all these patterns that were existing within our own district and how time and time again, because we don't look at the data in a, we, we haven't disaggregated You're the data. You're not breaking it down. Yeah. yeah. We were, we were just literally resting on the laurels. Yeah. And it, it was appalling. And I, you it know, was. I felt like as a person who came up through AIM schools, 
I always felt like Ames is like, well, we're always one of the best in the state. Mm-hmm. And we just best for think, who, though? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Who are we really serving? Mm-hmm. When you look at it closer, there are kids who are being underserved. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think it was the work of you and a lot of people, right? Who no, like got us to this so point. So I'm not trying to take credit here. So what happened was Aaron Miller. Yes. It, um, who's currently the director of teaching and learning for our district. Um approached me and um, said, like, you know, we got to, like, what, how can we get the, because at that time she was working in district office. She was like a curriculum specialist or something like that. Tulsa. That's what it was called. Yeah. And so um, she's like, you know, I don't have enough pull and influence to like address these things. Right. And so her, um, I and Sue Lawler, who's a former principal at Sawyer, met with some of the professors at Iowa State um daniel spikes yeah um and then we started talking about like what can the district do to start addressing these things in a systemic way so the conversation started because of this project that happened with these students who were trying to become administrators right and then one of them then asked for continued conversations to see this way all the way through and then me her and another person championed the work and then i left right so by the time i had left we were in negotiations with the two professors from Iowa State to talk about the uh, critical consciousness. Yeah. So that was already in place yeah. before I left. Like the oh really? The so plan. I got I had the opportunity to be a part of yeah. that to yep. that work with those two yep. professors, and it was really it um, hadn't been implemented. But the yeah. by the time I left, the contract was in place. Okay. So, um, but what really propelled the work? Um, <laughs> what really propelled the work? So this is where the circle. It was the pressure that was put on by the community. That's, That's what, yep. like, our voices, right? We were the ones who were saying, okay, we do need to do this, but how do we um, gain momentum here? Like, you know, obviously this is not a big enough issue for some of the other administrators in our district. How do we gain momentum? And at that time... Um, that's when our community groups were really paying attention and really putting pressure on the district to make some changes. And so it was like, here you go. We have this critical consciousness. And, and that was year, kind of you know, like the yeah. thing that was needed to get mm-hmm. it to that tipping point mm-hmm. where you have this community pressure. Mm-hmm. What fucking sucks now is that you have community pressure from the other side. The other mm-hmm. side. Mm-hmm. And you also have legislation and policy making that is super problematic. And mm-hmm. so I'm like wondering for you, like, how do you feel about the state of education in Iowa right now. Yeah. Particularly as a black man who's engaged in this work. And like, you've been in the trenches. Mm-hmm. There, You have a special quality to lead people, but particularly to lead kids. And I know, I always knew you were going to go back to Maryland, right? Like that was always a thing because your family's super important to you. Mm-hmm. But to... You're leaving now and it's bittersweet as opposed to bitter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Um, so is the question, how do I feel about? Yeah. How, how do you feel like you've you've kind of been in this very like you've been here for this sort of. I know it's been a long time coming, but this it feels like a rapid change. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've been there through it all. Cause I, I mean, I've only been out of teaching a few years and I'm like, I'd get, I'd get my license taken away from me in like five seconds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. How do you feel about it? Yeah. So I'm not trying to sound dramatic. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, sometimes it does gets me emotional because, um, 
I don't think the general public understand the crisis we're in. I don't think so either. They don't. And so um, let me talk about it from a staffing perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, there used to be a time, and, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that this is unique to this district, but mm-hmm. this is the community that's probably going to listen to this podcast, right? There used to be a time where like for every opening for a teacher opening there'd be like 400 applicants not i'm not kidding you mm-hmm. right like when i started in district it was like something like for every job opening there was like 90 applicants right mm-hmm. yeah it was kind of like the, the the reputation ames had was like you you have to have been teaching for mm-hmm. a while yeah you get, like you, this is not going to be your first this, job. yeah you mm-hmm. don't teach in ames as a first year teacher right you're coming from another district right but this is not so this is not about ames so i want to yeah. be very clear for yeah. the listeners but this is just my experience right um anecdotal data and so then i became principal right and at the time it was still you know a desirable and noble position and so we still had, you know, depending on the position, right? So I'll pick, for example, literacy and social studies, right? If we ever posted a literacy and social studies position, easy, we would get 40, 50 applicants, even when I first started, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of the upper math classes and upper science classes, so we were probably like in the 20s or whatever. We just hired, right before I left, mm-hmm. an eighth grade gen ed science teacher. Mm-hmm. Asked me how many applicants there were. How many applicants were One. there? One. Wow. Thank goodness. Someone applied? No. Thank goodness it was actually a really good candidate. Wow. They relocated from a different state because of their spouse. And they just happened, you know, they applied because of the Iowa State connection. But if they hadn't been, you would have been like, well, shit. So by the time I left, there's still a seventh grade science position that's unfilled with zero applicants. This should be concerning. Like, this is alarming. I'm leaving this district with six unfilled special education positions. And in the middle school, at one school. And having, like, gone through teaching programs in in Iowa, having taught in another part of the state, Ames was, like, the district Mm -hmm. that people wanted to get into. Mm -hmm. And, I I mean, I remember, like, one of the the social And they still do. They they do, but, like. But people just don't want to get into education. This, no. The numbers show it. When you look yeah. at the number of people who are majoring in education back yeah. in the 70s, right? You had a couple of hundred thousand. And it's like down to like, they're like, they're graduating like a hundred thousand. Like it's, it's gone. The, it's not an appealing. Well, people don't want to put up with yeah. that shit. Yeah. And they don't have to. Yeah. Like, Tell us what they don't want to put up with. What makes teaching in, in the, the coming academic year unappealing for someone working in Iowa? You know, I think it depends on who you ask. Right. Right. Um, I will tell you that um, we had issues long before COVID, Mm -hmm. but what COVID did was put all the issues on the forefront Mm -hmm. of everything we do, Mm -hmm. mixed with a political environment that's Mm -hmm. been toxic. Mm -hmm. Um, What it's done is create... Like it creates this like image of like, why would you want to go into teaching? Mm-hmm. Like, why would you want to go into a profession where you're constantly attacked, where there's constantly legislations um, being proposed that is harmful to your profession mm-hmm. when you're underpaid? Like mm-hmm. new teachers have to work multiple jobs to survive. Right. It used to be back in the 70s. You could be a single family income and one of them is a teacher and you could buy a home and do just well. Mm-hmm. 
you know, if you're we're not f- investing in education, we're not, we're not at a pace that matches what it costs to live today. In fact, Iowa is defunding education with right. their vouchers. Yeah, it's not even like they're. It's not even like they're just like gradually increasing it as they can. It's mm-hmm. like an actual dismantling mm-hmm. of public education. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so why, you know, tell me why um, someone would want to come into a profession making thirty five, forty thousand mm-hmm. dollars, knowing that um, their job is constantly being attacked, knowing that there are um, more and more demands being placed on teachers mm-hmm. um, as each year, like more documentation, more mm-hmm. demands, and nothing's being taken off their plates. Right. Where we're, we're, look, I mean, look at this bus past budget season. We're cutting staff. So then that means more work is now being added to right. other people's plates. Um, there's Where just. Where are uh, the attacks coming from? For people outside of education, mm-hmm. open their eyes to where these attacks are coming from. Mm-hmm. So I, just, I think I have an assumption yeah, about where they are coming from. I would tell you, and I and I don't want to get political here right. because that's not my intent. Um, I look at education um, from this perspective, mm-hmm. pre-Trump era and post-Trump era. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, once Trump became president, mm-hmm. um, the 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 way educate. I mean, look who he put in as the secretary of education, That's what asked, yeah. <laughs> right? Like it was very clear what the education policy at the national level was going right. to be like. And he did not disappoint. <laughs> right. He, you know, like between him and Bessie DeVos, who never, ever worked in a school a day in her life. That's so shameful. Who is the highest governmental official in public education right. who championed a voucher system mm-hmm. to take away money from public, like make it make sense. Mm-hmm. Right. That's so I look at it as pre-Trump era, mm-hmm. post-Trump era. Mm-hmm. And I do believe that there was a lot of hate unfairly targeted towards educators during that time. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest it was a political stunt. It was a political move, but it was to rally up the base was this illusion of critical race theory. Mm-hmm. Right. Which I'm like, okay, I was being taught to, in the school to no. work with a number of people who very much prioritize, like how do we in our curricula, like think through, um, how it impacts all students. Um, and no one was like, I am consciously thinking critical race. They're fucking 12 and 13. Yeah. Like, you really think I can teach a 13-year-old critical race theory? Yeah. But can I teach them? Can I can I expose them to literature mm-hmm. that deals with ideas mm-hmm. that we can talk about? Mm-hmm. Like, so when they say critical race theory, what they're saying is, we just don't want to talk about race. Mm-hmm. They're not actually talking about critical race. Yeah. Or accurate history. Yeah. Yeah. And how it impacts yeah. our lives today. And it, it just... It boggles my mind, all right? So I'm working on my doctoral degree. I never even heard of critical race theory until I was in my doctoral program. Mind you, I told you I had two bachelor's degrees, right? Mm -hmm. And then I went to Iowa State for my counseling. And then I went back for my uh, administrator. And then I went back for my doctoral program. Like I I feel like I have 
a lot of you education. You would have been exposed. I would have been exposed. Yeah. I was never pre, uh, I was never exposed to critical race theory until my doctoral program. And the reason why I was exposed to it in my doctoral program is because it is a framework. Mm-hmm. And so as we as we prepare to write our dissertation, we have to understand multiple frameworks to be able to uh, bound our research in. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's why I learned it. But it was never taught in any other. And so how can teachers the the point I'm making here? Right. is not to talk about my accolades or my edge. How can teachers teach about critical race theory when it doesn't show up in their own training? Right. It doesn't happen. No, I never heard of it until it started coming up in the news because people were pissed about it. I mean, my perspective in the middle school and some of the work we were doing was like, okay, um, I'm just going to try to teach in a way that serves all students and that keeps in mind that some students are being underserved. Yeah. And I'm going to keep myself in check. And that's exactly how it is actually supposed to play out and is playing out in public education, right? So critical race theory, I'm not going to like, well, you know, I'm not an expert in it, but Mm -hmm. I've done a little bit of research from my own uh, being in the doctoral program, right? It's a legal framework. It started as a in in the legal um um industry right so we have Derek Bell who is often credited for finding or founding the tenets of or most of the tenets of critical race theory um and he's a legal scholar he was the one of the first i think he was the first black tenured professor at Harvard University so this is in the 60s and 70s and really what he was looking at is how is the law right either preventing racist acts from happening or contributing to racism, right? From right. a policy perspective. Right. And so, and then Kimberly Crenshaw comes in and her work as a scholar and as a lawyer and all of that um, tried a very important case. Um, I don't know the, uh, the name of the case, but she was representing a black woman um, that worked at this factory who was being discriminated against. Mm-hmm. And really what Kimberly Crenshaw's work was around intersectionality. So um, this lady was saying that she was being discriminated against because she was a black woman. woman. Mm-hmm. Right. And so Kimberly had to try this case or Miss Crenshaw uh, saying that not only was it because she was a woman, because there was other women that worked in that factory. Mm-hmm. What was different about this situation, it was because she also had this other identity mm-hmm. as right. a black person. Intersectionality then became one of the tenets of critical race theories. Right. So it's really saying, like, how do we assess the world around us to determine mm-hmm. what's being racist, what, what policies are being racist and what policies are not. So for me as an educator, this is how I, Jonas Michael, mm-hmm. applied critical race theory in my work. That's I'll, why I like that the the course that was offered at Ames Middle, Middle School, School was you, called Critical, critical Consciousness. consciousness. Yeah. It's like calling be conscious. Be conscious. Pay attention. Wake up. That's the difference between we graduate 92% of Ames High students and mm-hmm. break it down, disaggregate it, and let's pay attention. <sighs> yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's being conscious mm-hmm. of actually paying attention yeah. and not just zoning out, doing the work, and not paying attention to the individual. Yeah. So let me let me tell you about critical race theory and mm-hmm. Jonas Michael and his principalship, right? Okay. This is how it applies in my world, right? I am looking at it. Yes, did I use it in my profession? Yes, but I used it in saying, what are the school rules 
What are the policies? Yep. What are the procedures that we have in place that are harming kids? That are biased against yep. certain groups yep. that we weren't paying attention yeah. to how it affected them. Yep. And my first example. And, <laughs> I know ah, it. You know where I'm going. High it. five. I my know first it. example. It was the first time Jonas laid down the fucking law. Well, what was the example? <laughs> Hats and hoodies. Hats and hoodies. Mm -hmm. Yep. Because we were having kids being sent to the office. Taking them out of the classroom. Taking them out of the classroom. Where they were doing because important they were, work. Where, because they had their hat or hoodie on. Uh-huh. Well, when you look at the data critically. Mm -hmm. And consciously. What makeup of students were being sent out of the room for wearing hats and hoodies? Black students. Black and brown students. Mm -hmm. So why? So let's, let's be critical about this. Why do we care if kids wear hats and hoodies? Mm-hmm. Why do we care? Why do we care? It's a bias. I Like when I flew into Iowa, half the people in the airport were wearing hats, hats and, and hoodies. hoodies. Mm -hmm. And they were mostly white. Yeah. So I'm trying to figure out where this issue with hat and hoodies. It's a small issue, but this is an example of mm -hmm. us looking at things that are happening that are more, like literally pushing kids mm -hmm. out of the classroom. Mm -hmm. Right. That's Over an example. something so... Yeah. Stupid. So guess what? I lifted it and you would think, oh, okay, the principal said we can have it and that was it. No, it was a thing. It was a thing. <laughs> yeah. Um <laughs> and so like like you're hearing I from remember, parents. I remember that staff meeting. Yeah, it was a thing. <laughs> you were hearing from your own teachers who were oh, I, unsettled by it. Well, Just not directly. They were they were like, I don't care what you do in the rest of the building, but in my classroom, you can't wear your hats and hoodies. So, of course, then we had that follow-up meeting that Ellen is referring to. <laughs> and I think that was the first time I reprimanded the entire staff. I wouldn't call it a reprimand. You didn't reprimand the I think, entire I staff, think, but you just said, like, you were assertive. This, is the, this is what we're doing. It's not up for negotiation. Mm -hmm. And you are going to <laughs> fall in line. Yeah. And then you were like, and if you don't. This is true. I will take steps to remove you from this building. Permanently. Yeah, and then if he you're was gonna like, quote me, quote me correctly. And then he dismissed <laughs> two grade levels and left one grade level there. Yeah, yeah, that's and, beautiful. And I said, you know, like but it was like it was a good moment for us because it was like, oh shit, you know, like he's serious. Yeah, like we like, don't we don't make decisions and decide like, oh well, when we leave this room, we're gonna do whatever we want. And I'm not harping on the process. That's mm -hmm. not what I'm saying. But I'm I wanted you all to understand like how does critical race theory. Play applies out. Yeah. and play in out the middle school. in my role mm -hmm. as a principal, right? And then even like as director of student services, right? Like, oh, you know, I, the state of Iowa back in uh, the 90s, early 90s, did a study on why kids are dropping out of high school right. in Iowa. Mm -hmm. And you know what the number one reason when they interviewed all these dropouts were? What? S board policies and school procedures. Wow. You can't take American government into your senior year, so but you have no social studies in your so, uh, junior year. So what happens to the senior who, like, dumb stuff, right? Yep. You, it, I'm just literally, I don't know if it's still a practice here. If you don't have gym shorts, you fail PE. Like, do you get what I'm saying? These, it doesn't matter. It's the small things like this mm -hmm. that are caused, that was the number one reason why kids were dropping out. Mm -hmm. But then take it at a macro level. Think about all the other small things that were happening that were constantly like microaggressions and actually flat out racism that was existing mm -hmm. in our schools that were pushing kids out. Mm -hmm. That's how CRT. And how unnecessary. Yeah. 
specifically colored and branded gym shorts are to a kid's total education. Complete, <laughs> completely irrelevant. Yes. But it's like we're holding their physical on to education. this like kind of problematic idea mm -hmm. because it's traditionally what we've done mm -hmm. versus questioning like how is this actually affecting kids and is it worth the cost? Can 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 we unpack what you just said? Yes. When you said traditionally had been done, mm -hmm. what I heard you just say is that these were white middle class norms that mm -hmm. we we're yeah you're right mm -hmm. you're right yeah absolutely and so what was happening which is, which was which was what the governing thing was right mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. that's how yeah and that's I, how that's and how we operate and, in and that's day why day. you need critical race yeah. theory and because I think if you don't unpack it and see how it's affecting people differently specifically related to their race or their gender mm -hmm. or uh, their sexuality even. Mm -hmm. Without critical race theory or critical consciousness in general, mm -hmm. you can't see well, that. And then but you, so, you, would, like, you would say to yourself, this is how we've always done it and not think through like, well, why ha Why is that what we consider the norm? Why is that the value mm -hmm. that we're going to attach to something? And then thinking through like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, no, you're absolutely right. But Amanda, yeah. I want to go back to what you just said. Mm -hmm. Like. I don't want our, you know, your listeners to be confused. I'm not an expert in critical race theory. So let me be very um, upfront about that. But it is needed specifically when we're talking about professions that are looking at policies mm -hmm. that are uh, uh, creating policies, mm -hmm. right? So we're talking about, in our case, school boards. and It could be the bookstores. Yes. Yeah. Rules. Whatever it could but be, at the, the end, city rules. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, when this theory was created, mm -hmm. it was very timely and necessary. Remember, mm -hmm. it was birthed in the sixties and seventies. Mm -hmm. It was birthed as a legal um, framework. framework. Mm -hmm. yep. And what was happening in the sixties and seventies? Right. The civil rights, rights movements. Movement. Right. We were talking about addressing laws that were discriminating, mm -hmm. like housing laws. Right. Mm -hmm. And where we're still seeing it here in local governments. Right. Mm -hmm. Think about zoning commissions when yep. they're zoning single family. Like, oh, this is only going to be a single family housing zone. Mm -hmm. That means no affordable housing. Right. And who's that benefiting? Right. right. So mm -hmm. that's. Break it down. Yeah. Wake so up, critical race theory is important because mm -hmm. it's telling you look critically at these policies mm -hmm. and who it is benefiting and who mm -hmm. it's not mm -hmm. benefiting. It's not about making people feel bad. No, it's not. It's about making sure our choices, especially moving forward and all the changes mm -hmm. we make hopefully at every level yeah. of government and every school, every business yeah. that we're just paying attention where yeah. our eyes are open. Yeah. To it, the the um, simplest sentence that I came across um, when I was, you know, reading through critical race theories in my own studies was it's designed to help you see which laws are just mm -hmm. and which laws are unjust. Perfect. And when you move through the world, if you, if you, like, if you're white, like, right, it benefits you. Mm -hmm. So you're kind of blind to it. Yep. Unless you make the effort. One of the tenets yeah. of critical race theories is interest convergence. Yeah. That black folks or people of color, they're, that they only advance when it's in the interest of white folks. Mm. Right. Yeah. And so how many times have you all, cause I've been like, mm, here goes some, like I've seen so many examples in school board meetings. I'm not talking about just <laughs> ours, yeah, okay. but in general where that comes up time and time again. And this is how it comes up. 
oh, well, this is like when when people were, were fighting for programs, right? I'm not talking about like administrators and school board members. Like when parents are coming to the podium, it's like, where's the equity when my child can't get into the talented and gifted program and this and this and that? We need to expand the number of students. What they really, well, actually what they presented is we need to expand the number of students can have access to this program. That This is not equitable. What they're really saying is that my child didn't get in. And so- I am going to claim we need to do an equitable approach and have more people be able to get into this program, but it's really just benefiting their own mm-hmm. child's interest, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's just a small example. Mm-hmm. And so, like, it's just telling you, like, pay attention to these things. Mm-hmm. Yep. And yeah. and so, like, our critical consciousness course. Right? Yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah. Um. So... The essay. Oh, excuse me. The critical consciousness course in this fictionalized normative case study. Yes. And I will, love it. I will say as an addendum to it, we were doing critical consciousness work as a staff mm-hmm. with Dr. Spikes and Dr. Swalwell. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for me, it was hu- like it was hugely eye opening. Mm-hmm. And I got so much out of that. Mm-hmm. And I can't I can imagine that any child would get a lot out of that work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so even through our own PD, um, even after yeah. that, like in our building, you know, Nicole Coronado and Aaron Miller did a yeah, wonderful there's, there's job. There's just moments where, you know, like as a white woman, I'm like, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so what I learned in our own critical consciousness, like our PD, is that I, little bit, I was a little bit of an ableist. Right. Like I didn't really consider the perspective of those who were not able bodied. Mm-hmm. Um, that had dis- physical disabilities. So, for example, right at the time, we had a student that was in a wheelchair mm-hmm. that had to go to the nurse's office mm-hmm. every single day for medication. Mm-hmm. But the access to the nurse's office was not handicap accessible. Wow. So this young man literally right, would have to swing, like roll up to the door, grab the door, swing it open uh-huh. and quickly roll in. And in that process, the door is slamming Hating into him. him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's I, so stressful. Right. Yeah. And so. Um, initially, you know, I was just like, well, you know, what am I going to do do about that? Right. Like, and then, you know, through my own critical consciousness, I was like, no, this is not okay. Mm -hmm. This is not okay for him. Mm -hmm. This is not okay for the past students who've been in wheelchairs. Mm -hmm. And it's not okay for the students that are going to come after him. And so I started to advocate and I am not joking. I'm not going to name the person, but Mm -hmm. the individual that I was consulting with about making it a handicap accessible entryway into the nurse's office which makes sense to me right right um we're like well why don't we instead of like investing in this ten thousand dollar system i don't know what the number it was astronomical we can take off the this from this and it will just slow the door down <laughs> and i looked at that person and i said you're an ableist yeah why don't you just actually follow the American the Disability law. Act mm-hmm. and put in the proper equipment to mm-hmm. allow this student to access his medication without having the door slam on him. Well, yeah. How about that? American Disabilities Act aside too, like if we're serving kids, right? right. Shouldn't we just give a fuck? Yeah. Yeah. Like that once too. we see, shouldn't we just give yeah. a fuck? <laughs> like, but, but it took our own PD at our own building yeah. for me to get to that point. And so think about it as a parent. You're not an educator, right? Mm-mm. Think about it as a parent. You're entrusting the most valuable people, the, your, your mm-hmm. most prized, you know, the humans that you love the most right. in our care. Students are spending more time in school than they are at home. I And so to, it, yeah. to, to know that your child, whatever, wh- whoever they are, and whatever they come to us in school, knowing that there are people there that are actually loving them and advocating for them, 
That's what I was trying to do. Right. And that PD. To have our children see it, be seen as individuals. Right. Not just a student body. Yeah. That you can just gloss over as well. 92% of people are fine with this. Mm -hmm. What about my child? Yeah. 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 I hear you. So like, you know, so I took that responsibility very seriously. Mm -hmm. You know, I think what happened in that moment, if I'm being logical, is that this person's thinking this is a $10,000 investment for one person. For one kid, it's not. And I'm looking at it as like, no, because there will be other kids to follow. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, why can't he have access to the nurse's office without having the door slammed on him? Yeah. It's, it's like an, it's an ethical question. Yeah. And it's so like, is that you don't put a, a value on that. Yeah. It's like, are we serving all kids? Who wants to be hit we... by a door every time they need to get yeah. needed right. care? So yeah. just to clarify the most common uh, complaint for a critical consciousness type course is you're making kids feel bad about their privileged identity. Mm-hmm. We don't want to be made to be villains or, you know, criminals or made to be feel uh, culpable if we are of a privileged position. Is that scenario that you just described in any way making anyone feel bad about their identity? It's not. It's seeing an individual, a child who needs access to their medication and meeting their needs and seeing how the building as a whole is serving all students and seeing that kid as an individual it has nothing to do with anyone else's privilege. Yeah. So the work in this normative case study mm-hmm. at Heath Middle School. Yeah, Heath Middle School. <laughs> I was so curious about your... I'm so your, glad this is not video recorded. I had a lot of fun your case study because I was like, oh my God, I know where Heath Middle School is. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking I about. Heath Middle is. School. I shouldn't eat popcorn. It was really, it but, was really well written. I just want to well, say... everyone should read it because I do think Can we that, share like, it? So it's... Yeah. Yeah, it's, we'll put it with okay. our podcast. They'll be in the show notes, guys. It's yeah. totally but, fictional normative study but before we get into that can i just talk about the work yeah of this um so this this article started two years ago right and it was supposed to be like this small little case study that blah blah blah, mm-hmm. and it kind of blew up um there's like really neat things happening with this they're like cool. it's gonna be published in a book they're looking at grants to make it an interactive um like um, um training and all that type of stuff but um so when i first started this work I was very clear. So I had a, a Nick, who's my co-author on here, um, is a prof- was a professor at Iowa State University. Um, he had told me that, hey, you know, I went to this workshop. I think you have a pretty cool story, so on and so forth. Or I think you might be able to create this cool story based off of your previous experiences and all this stuff. Would you be interested in writing a norm- a, a case study with me? And I said, yeah, sure. W- w- tell me the details. We, he said, here's the thing. It's due in like two weeks. <laughs> this was two years ago right so i was like oh, it's summer i said all right i'm gonna try to whip out something really really quick but like here's the no thing. promises here's the thing i'm just gonna like put thought to paper i'll try to be like grammatically correct but where i need you nick is like to, to clean it up so like you guys are giving me credit i just want to make sure that i give my co-authors okay credit they had a lot to do with just like the whole like the structure for yeah, sure yeah, yeah. well so, you guys made a great team yeah we did i really we did. enjoyed yeah, reading yeah. it uh, i mean don't get me wrong i did have some additions to it and you know you mm-hmm. know ultimately because of my first author you know mm-hmm. um well, and i had final say but based on your experience yeah so you know 
or you know from or my a perspective fictional experience there's a lot of air, finger air quotes happening in this room <laughs> <laughs> and i need to stop eating popcorn well i the, the reason why i think everyone should read it and actually it's not a super long document no it's no, not it's very it's like three three and a half four pages or something so it's very like digestible and you write it in a narrative way mm-hmm. you and your co-authors do mm-hmm. but it's i think it does a really good job of describing the labor that you have to undertake as an educator when you are trying to balance the needs of mm-hmm. all these people and what an impossible situation you were in mm-hmm. as an administrator. Yeah, for Principal uh, Daniel Samira, yeah. Yes, yes. for that prince, for Principal Daniel yeah. was in a, an impossible situation as administrator. Yeah. And Principal because, Daniel Because when yeah. you know what is best for kids, mm-hmm. and that is in conflict with policy. And laws. And laws. Mm-hmm. That puts you at a huge, um, it's just a super hard place to be in. And mm-hmm. Principal Daniel <laughs> also was like, "Do is it ethical for me to put a teacher in a situation mm-hmm. where they're going to teach this critical consciousness class mm-hmm. and then they're going to get all the pushback in hell mm-hmm. that's going to come with that? Yeah. And... So that's yeah. the purpose of a normative case study. Yeah. So a normative case study presents ethical dilemmas and it leaves the reader... Um, it doesn't give the reader like what the final decision is and you're left with like, what would you do? do? Yeah. What I'm mad at is legislators that put principal Daniel in that position mm -hmm. in the first place and Mm -hmm. parents Mm -hmm. in this community. Because you include a a parental, a parent call, which is what I, I cannot even imagine as a parent who is just so grateful that people are willing and talented enough to teach my children holy shit, I could never homeschool my children. This voucher bill just blows my mind. Who in the hell would want to pay themselves to take, like, teach their children anything mm-hmm. or, you know, to create some little co-op of parents? Mm-hmm. It just blows my freaking mind. I'm so grateful. Mm-hmm. But when I see anecdotes of parents who are calling you and creating this significant drama and hurdles in your jobs as educators, which is already the most valuable job I can imagine in this town. Mm -hmm. Seriously, what's more valuable than teachers? Can't name a thing. I'd rather pay a teacher than a doctor, honestly. Mm -hmm. Like hand in hand, keep my kids alive, shape their minds. Mm -hmm. Um, The parental involvement, you even treated that fairly Mm -hmm. in your... Um, case Principal study. Daniel did. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, sorry. In your writing <laughs> via Principal Daniel, you even gave voice to a, a very fair um, and complaint from mm-hmm. a parent. And you, it, it, the complaint isn't necessarily fair, but you treated it fairly. Mm-hmm. So let's. Um, so, but let me tell you why mm-hmm. Principal Semeta mm-hmm. did that. Mm-hmm. It's because he believes in a democratic and yeah. pluralistic society, yes. right? So what he believes is that there should be opposing views mm-hmm. and that, that you should ha- be able to have conversations. Right. That's what makes us a democratic yeah. society, right? Mm-hmm. So because people don't agree with Principal Semeta, it doesn't mean that he has to be in conflict with them. Right. But I think what's happening now, Amanda, mm-hmm. is that people think that you have to be in conflict and be mean and nasty mm-hmm. when you have opposing views. Mm-hmm. And I would tell you, that doesn't have to be the case. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
I don't you, want people I, yeah, to have the same views as me. You can stay firm in, your, in where yeah. you, what you're doing and know that you're doing the right thing right. without being a dick. Yeah. And so, like, yeah. when there, like, when there are literally, I am not kidding, like, I have a file of this, like, email campaigns of trying to get me to be fired or X, Y, and Z and threats and all those things. I'm not going to even bore your viewers with that. When all of those things are happening, just because I want to make sure that every single child in our building have a fair experience, mm -hmm. it does blow my mind. Yeah. It does. And, and I think one of the, you know, go ahead. okay, I was just going to say one of the reasons why, like, I, in this role now that I'm not teaching, I think a lot about teachers and we mm -hmm. try to do a lot with schools and because I don't think that the general public understands what it takes of a person in terms of their mental and emotional capacity to love and care for other people's children mm -hmm. all day long. Mm -hmm. Like what you're describing is like, I give a shit about your kid. Mm -hmm. How wonderful is that, that I can send my kids to school and know that they are cared for and that they are seen as individuals mm -hmm. and that their needs are being met and that people are looking out for them. That's priceless. Yeah. And why would we villainize the people who are doing that? Exactly. But I want to be clear for everyone. I want to make sure that this stays in the podcast, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. I would say 90, maybe even 95% of the families that I have had the pleasure of working with have been fine. They don't reach yeah. out. They don't, you know what I mean? But mm -hmm. like, it feels, it's it the, feel, it yeah. feels like it's a, a big, I mean, there's probably a lot more people that probably disagree and maybe uh, the way I've, um, you know. But they let you do your job yeah. and they manage their own family right. in the way they see exactly. it, but they let teachers do their job. Right. So it's the 5% that are constantly like harassing and doing all these and things. And lawmakers in our state have enabled them. And that's where the pre and post Trump era comes in, mm -hmm. in that the Trump era and the state of our state of mm -hmm. Iowa has enabled people mm -hmm. to create this abuse against our teachers mm -hmm. and our administrators. When I initially wrote this, it was yeah. to write it for a chapter in a book yeah. that was going to go out for like pre-service teachers and pre-service administrators and all that stuff. And that it goes to print next summer. It's finalized. Do you have access to it? Like, will you keep us updated? Sure. When it goes like, I would love to have it at the store. Yeah. So initially, initially the book. So like, that's what the whole project was for. Mm -hmm. And then like, as I was writing this and like, the, first of all, it wasn't like we wrote it two years ago and then we like put it to the side and it's now just getting published. Like it just got published on the right. website. It's like, the process. The process. Was, so the initial like article had like stats and facts about mm -hmm. what critical consciousness did for the school, right? Mm -hmm. Like it improved the culture of the building. I'm Students glad that one safer. of the stats stayed in though. Yeah. You, you but a lot of it, yeah, a lot of it did go out, but like, so the initial was much more like technical. Real, yeah. Um, and like, there's like, this is like the seventh iteration of it. Right. Mm -hmm. So it became very, uh, uh, filled with labor. Right. Like, and so yeah. then I was like, my intended audience our teachers, our educators, mm -hmm. and I don't want them to pay. So in that process, I advocated for it to be accessible for free, right? And which is now on the website. So now we can share it. And so I talked about my perspective as an administrator with critical race theory, mm -hmm. and I think where it falls at the teacher level, and Ellen can talk about that mm -hmm. from her is like, what are the materials that we're putting in front of our students, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Are they seeing themselves in the the curriculum. Thank you for bringing us back to books. Yeah. You're so generous. Like, are they seeing themselves in <laughs> yeah. the curriculum? Are they? Well, I mean, I think like, for me, and you know, obviously I operate in the realm of literacy, mm -hmm. like teaching, reading, writing, and mm -hmm. that's a little bit easier to do. But like, and I found myself in collaboration a lot with like social studies teachers because that's sort of a natural fit. 
But um, yeah, you think a lot about like, um, you know, when I taught high school, mm-hmm. what were the books that are in the canon that we are expected to teach in high school? They're all by white, white people and mostly white men. And isn't that a problem? Mm-hmm. Shouldn't we interrogate that a little bit? Mm-hmm. Is it true that those books are good books? I would say a lot of them are. Does that mean those are the books we should be teaching? Does that mean there aren't equally good or even better literature? Like how by- long do we need to teach mice and men? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like not just in high school, but also in college. <laughs> but, again, but, but, but again, like you said, it's that sort of white norm, that mm-hmm. traditional way. Like, oh, this this is what you learn, mm-hmm. and let's should we not interrogate that a little bit? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and really, that was the heart of critical consciousness, mm-hmm. right? So I think there was, you know, we talked about the parent group that was in there that, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, this parent group also talked about the middle school in part. So first of all, let's talk about school board meetings. <laughs> I right? can yeah. we even talk I about cannot. Right. Right. Okay. Should school board meetings Jonas, what I will exist. tell you. <laughs> yeah. Did I, did I hit about, a hot topic? <laughs> I'm about, my kids are about to, they have unfortunately had to switch elementary schools. And I don't mean that unfortunately, like they're going to a bad place. We really liked where we were and mm-hmm. we have to switch because we went. Mm-hmm. Um, some of those parents are active in the new school. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm going to come to play. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. Um, what's interesting is that um, during the campaign, of, well, let's talk about school boards, right? Yes. I would say, generally speaking, it should be apolitical, right? Like, it should not be, like, I shouldn't know where, who's political, like, where they align politically, I, mm-hmm. And, and, and I, I would tell you historically, kind of has been. Yeah, I would tell you prior to this last board election, I I didn't, I really didn't know, and I was close enough to our board members that I could like maybe get a sense, but I can mm-hmm. never tell you for certain, right? Mm-hmm. Because we never talk about it because it it's should a, be, a, it'd be apolitical. Yeah, this last election, what we saw across the country, yeah, were these concerted efforts to flip school boards and in our own community we had a pack that can't be more <laughs> political i i yeah i i was i i will tell you all this and i don't care who hears me. if they had won i would have quit i would have been done oh, i would have been you. done i would have been done you. the toxicity that was um spread throughout their entire campaign the falseness Mm -hmm. the the lies and all of that and in that process in that process they use the middle school's critical consciousness course as part of their propaganda to spread false information Mm -hmm. right our the i will talk about our Critical consciousness course, yeah. not the articles. Explain it a little bit about what what that course yeah. came to do. What kinds of stuff they were doing. I know who was teaching it. Mm-hmm. Amazing educator. Mm-hmm. Um, then I know you mm-hmm. and like under your leadership. Yeah, you know, like tell us what that was about. Yeah. So one of the things that we saw in our data is that our students um, were not connecting with one another, mm-hmm. and they were not connecting with our school. And we wanted to be able to get at the heart of that. And what we figured out is that we're just not really creating an environment where kids are having honest and open discussions mm-hmm. and getting to understand one another. Think about building community in general, right? Mm-hmm. You know, at the elementary levels, they used to do what's called um, responsive classrooms. And then at the middle school, it was like um, 
developmental designs or something like that. But oh, the, yeah, you're right. the heart of it, <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're supposed to do it, right? The, the, <laughs> the heart of it was to build community, right? And really it was a proactive way to um, cl- for classroom management. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I learned from when I dug into that is that kids were less likely to create harm with one another if they had a relationship with one another, mm-hmm. if they had understanding of mm-hmm. different people's experiences and stuff like that. So the intent of this curriculum, first of all, kids were only to go through it for three weeks, mm-hmm. right? So it was like part of our, what's called a one cycle. So mm-hmm. they're in it for three weeks. So we're not- Three weeks and elective. Yep, mm-hmm. yep. And so um, if parents decided that they didn't want their child to be a part of it, uh, we gave them an opt-out option, mm-hmm. absolutely. But the primary work was identity work, mm-hmm. helping them understand themselves in relation to this world, mm-hmm. helping them see themselves and like how they can make a change in this world, mm-hmm. um, and then just to kind of really look at um, like the news and look at newspaper articles and all of that stuff, and just to think critically, like what are the what are your main sources of information? Where is mm-hmm. that coming from, and how can you think critically about it? We never once told them this is right or this is wrong. Mm -hmm. Like we wanted them to form their own opinions. Mm -hmm. Um, But a lot of it in the beginning was identity work, Mm -hmm. right? Like who am I? Who am I in relation to myself, to my family, to the students around me, to my school, to my community, to this, you know, like who am I and how do I fit in this world? Mm -hmm. And how do I then also then uh, give back to this world um, in a positive way, right? Like it it really, the intentions were really positive, but the ultimate goal of it was to really have them think uh, critically about the world around them mm-hmm. but we never told them like this is right or this is wrong mm-hmm. so um at the end of that that year you know like we do the, what's called the panorama survey and i don't have the stats in front of us but it was like double digit growth in terms of students feeling more connected to the school and when i say double digit i'm not talking about like 10 i'm talking about like 20 30 point gains of students feeling more connected feeling more safe feeling mm-hmm. more whatever appreciated seen as an seen, individual yeah um, welcome. Yeah. All of those things. Right. And so we we set out to make kids um, feel accepted at school. And I felt like we accomplished that. And, I, and you know, when that course was in that first year, my child was in sixth grade mm-hmm. and now my child is going into high school. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for all the middle school ness of mm-hmm. my child, um, I feel like they always kind of knew that they had a safe space with you and mm-hmm. with their teachers mm-hmm. and with many of their peers. Mm-hmm. And I think of some of the interactions my child had with you that you tolerated <laughs> and, um, you know, put up with. But it was more like you were like, yes, if you care about this, I support you, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. what's so here's the thing, right? Because I heard, um, I don't really always read um, the, the local news because of I'm Bless just you. jaded yeah. uh, from personal experiences. But I heard there was an article somewhere written, I don't know where, about uh, like uh, the protest that the students had yep. um, for LGBTQ yeah. rights, right? I, maybe you guys read this article. I, like, I, don't, apparently, think I, like they, I don't know that I read it. <laughs> apparently, I whoever, knew that they had right. done so it. So apparently, like my emails were... Uh, requested through public records and they wrote this article. Hey, it happened to us too. Yeah. Did High it? five. But you're not a public company. Yeah, between us and the school district. Oh, okay. 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 <laughs> They're coming after that list of books. Oh, okay. So anyway, so um so they wrote this thing about how basically I supported the thing. Now you know, I don't want to talk about individual conversations I had with the planners of the thing, mm-hmm. but I specifically, right, <laughs> said, well, if you do this, you you will be disciplined. But if that's the risk you're willing to take to take a stand, cool. 
you know how to walk the line. Well, I remember. So my my child, they were like, I want to do it at this time. It's like, no, that's not an option. So my child was one of the <laughs> organizers, and I had well, said I, to they were gonna. So my child and their friend was organized it, mm-hmm. and the friend sent me an instant message one day while they were at school. So I don't know what they were doing, and it was like, we're gonna go talk to Mr. Michael about this. Like, what should we do? Like asking advice. And what I said to them, and then a conversation with you later, I was like, okay, I have to cop to this. This is my fault. Mm -hmm. I said, you know, civil disobedience means that you don't have to ask for permission. You do the thing you think is right, but you're willing to accept the consequences of it. And that's what makes it powerful. Mm -hmm. And so go talk to Mr. Michael. But if you want to hold your protest, you can hold your protest. Mm-hmm. And you handled them so well. <laughs> well, I want I want to hear their perspective. Like, how did they come back home and say what that was like for them? They, they felt supported by uh-huh. you. Yeah. They so felt we- really supported by you. And, I, and, and in my own conversations with my child, Jay, I was, you know, like, she understood that, like, I was like, Miss, their job, right, is to protect you mm-hmm. and to look out for you. Mm-hmm. But also, like... You have your willingness to take a if if you're only willing to take a stand when it's not going to actually affect you in any way, mm-hmm. like then you're not. That's not. That doesn't really mean anything. Mm-hmm. Like you have to be willing to take the hit. Mm-hmm. So what was cool about that experience? So first of all, let me start off by saying you know there's a lot of people that are like oh this generation of kids and uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I have a lot of hope. They're cool kids. I have a yeah. lot. So first of all, I have started to befriend Gen Zers. I know they're like in their 20s or whatever, but like <laughs> they're dope. They are dope. Like that generation. And I think what's happening, this is just Jonas. I don't have any data to support this. Mm-hmm. This is my little theory, right? I think what's happening in our society is that they're recognizing that the more educated people are, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, that the more willing that they are to accept differences and mm-hmm. be more progressive and blah, 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 all these things. Right. And I think our Gen Zers are showing time and time again, like we're not dealing with the bullshit that you guys dealt with. Right. right? We're not going to work yep. for jobs that are going to abuse us. Mm-hmm. We're not going to put up with these flawed policies. We're going to call you out on your shit. Mm-hmm. We're not going to do X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And I think that that makes politicians nervous because they're losing gains there. Right. right? So like, how do we control this? Right. Control. How do we control this? Well, let's put some laws in place that prevents schools from being able to allow students to think critically about policies and laws. I think that this we is want att- to keep it. I think the this same is an way. Att- or, mm-hmm. and in my case, let's drive them out of our state so we can maintain power. Let's be very clear. This is a this is what what's happening right now is uh, an effort to maintain power. Mm-hmm. Right? One hundred. And they're winning. Yeah. And it I'm is. not gonna lie. I I fell victim to what they are doing. Because you don't want to be. I don't want to be here anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm tired of fighting. Mm-hmm. And the sad part is that we have to have people here to fight the good fight. But in my reality, it's. I'm, you don't, I don't, I don't, you don't need to spend your life in this way that just, be, um, you don't have to sacrifice your well-being. Well-being. Yeah. Yeah. My reality is this, you know, Iowa is not my home. Mm-hmm. It's been a great place while I've mm-hmm. been here, but I am exhausted mm-hmm. and I'm ready to go back home. And the truth of the matter is, is that I don't want to live in a state where they are constantly putting laws into place mm-hmm. that are harming people. Mm-hmm. Why don't we focus on laws that are actually helping people? Right. Yeah. Uh, this yep. is a hundred percent true. So Ellen and I have the benefit, as I said, of 
having some of our roots set in concrete mm-hmm. and, <laughs> um, yeah. And, um, is that discomfort? We spoke to a mother of one of our former employees who is trans and it's that constant balance between do you stay where your roots are set in concrete Mm -hmm. and hope that the light you shine into the world and the actions you take and the views you hold can make a difference. Mm -hmm. But the difference is your roots reach all the way back to DC. And you have no obligation. It's not your problem to fix. It's not, Mm -hmm. you know? So, well, I feel like I've done uh, your part, which is bring awareness to certain situations, at least with my staff. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, the influence I had with my, like, I can't tell you how much I love them and, um, how proud I am. Like Mm -hmm. the changes that have happened. And And, and even in the, and I haven't been there for three years, but Mm -hmm. even in the time that you came from the time that I was no longer there, Mm -hmm. there was a huge change. Yeah. Yeah. And so we are, we have a building in a system that's filled with really great educators. And I just want us to eliminate, the barriers that are preventing them from doing the job that they're supposed to be doing, right? Um, and so we just have this mysterious boogie monster called critical race theory that's not really happening. Mm-mm. We're not teaching that to kids. Mm-mm. Is it is it um, helpful for us as educators to know about? I think mm-hmm. so, but for the most part, it's it's not happening. And I just wish people would move on from the conversation. Right. Well, and, and at the end of the day, it's like, if you're so upset that you're going to contact the principal with school board or even run for school board because your child is being exposed to people who are different from them like don't you have something better to do yeah and there's so many issues that we should be talking about that are not being talked about like there's way more important issues. I promise you, right? Like there's bigger, there are things where kids are being harmed. White kids too, right? Like that we should be talking We're about. We're all harmed by yeah. racism. We are all harmed mm-hmm. by homophobia mm-hmm. and transphobia. Mm-hmm. And also like you willfully denying other people's existence doesn't make them go away. No, the only thing it does is cause harm. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the unfortunate state of education. That's the unfortunate state of where we're at. I believe in the state of Iowa. Um, you know, but I have a lot of hope in Gen Zers. Mm-hmm. I do I, too. I do. And, and I have a lot of hope and I'm very inspired by our current students. I can't tell you how many of them are fighting the good fight. Right. Like I'm so proud of them. Right. So like, I don't know what, like I said, I don't, I heard little bits and pieces about this article about how I was like maybe an organizer of this. What? No, like I did my job. Like I was like, you know, we you can't, did. And I you did actually were said, very much like, this I, is you. I, 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 yeah. Rules. I was like, I, we're not, you know, I was like, these are the rules. Like I, they were like, I'm, it's not school sanctioned. Cause they wanted me to like announce it. I was like, no, it's not school sanctioned. Mm-hmm. And like people would email me. It was like, when is the protest? Blah, blah, blah. And I, my response to every single one of the kids that wanted, I was like, this is not a school sanctioned um, activity. This is not a school. Sa-. Like I did my job. I mm-hmm. provided them with the information they needed to know. They knew what the consequences were. And in fact, there were some students, cause we talked about discipline that said, Please, like I had parents reach out to me. This was very cool. I actually had parents reach out to me that said, I know that there might be potential consequences and my child wanted to make sure that you understood that they wanted to take the consequences. Whatever consequences came with their decision, they wanted it. 
Thank you for this. Like, and that's the light lesson. of hope. Yeah. yeah. That and and I am so like so they just recently had the eighth grade promotion ceremony. Mm-hmm. And which was a whole funny thing because it wasn't going to rain, but then it rained. Yeah. As you started speaking on the football field. Yeah. But as the kids were like, you know, coming out on the field, I was like crying. And my son was like, why are you crying? It's not high school graduation. I'm like, because middle school's hard and she made it. But um, you chose three kids were chosen to give, Mm -hmm. you know, an address to the, the crowd, all the parents. And one of them. Um, is a good friend of my child and spoke about their experience of being a queer kid at Ames Middle School. And what the beautiful thing was, was they talked about how there was a lot of progress to be made, but they felt really accepted by their teachers mm-hmm. and really, um, and that you let them, and I'm looking around me as they're talking mm-hmm. <laughs> cause they lead with like the Matthew Shepard project quote. Mm-hmm. I was like, Oh shit. <laughs> and I'm looking around me and I can see that there are people around me who are like uncomfortable, but the fact that this school allowed them to give that, like you saw the speeches ahead of time mm-hmm. and that you allowed this student to get up and make that speech and you know that some people were going to be pissed off about it, but you let them do it anyway mm-hmm. was so cool. It yeah. spoke volumes, not only the speech that they gave, but the fact that they were even given the platform to do it. Yeah. So, but kudos to the teacher. So let's talk about the eighth grade promotion ceremony. I'll do it in two minutes. So what the, the, the process is, is that they, the students, all eighth graders, they write, you know, um, um, a speech for the eighth grade promotion ceremony. And then each one of their literacy teachers select like the top five or six from, I think it's the top five from all of their students. Right. And then they present, they then give me those speeches and, but they black out the name. So I don't know which students, right. So, mm-hmm. so that it, there's no fa- like, at least on my part, it's mm-hmm. not about favoritism. What it's purely the content. Mm-hmm. And so then I pick one student from each team. So our school has, Team A, Team M, Team S. It team used S. to be white, green, and blue. Okay, so it's AMS <laughs> now. FYI. Yep. So I read all of them from this teacher, and then I select the best one that was presented from this teacher. So I don't see all the speeches. I just see, like, the top five yeah. from each teacher. And so then, I'm not going to lie. I'm going to be honest with you. So when I came across this speech, I was like, oh. man, this is going to make some people upset. <laughs> this is a good speech. Yeah. It was. And I was just like, uh. and and I, I had to question my hesitation for a moment. I was mm-hmm. like, what, what am I hesitating on? Right. Is there a better speech from this teacher, mm-hmm. from this teacher's class? Mm-hmm. And it was, no, there wasn't. Mm-hmm. It was the hesitation of the content. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know what? I have to lead by example. Mm-hmm. And I know I'm going to catch a lot of shit for allowing this to happen. And I, I just, in the moment, I just felt like this is what our school needed. And it was the best speech. I, I was fair. And I, that, that student yeah. said it. I think she, the student was equally surprised for being selected because they really did yeah. talk about some very. And I, I was so proud. Of, I mean, mm-hmm. and, and they're just a confident kid anyway, but just mm-hmm. like watching them do it. And mm-hmm. I texted their mom in the middle of it. I was like, this is so badass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because like, I felt like probably their parents were looking around and seeing some of the same reactions that I was seeing, which were like a little bit like. Yeah, I know, saw those frowny, same reactions. Frowny face. Um, but mostly not, but some. And, you know, and afterwards I made a point, you know, to talk to the kid and be like, that was so cool. I'm so proud of you. Like, yeah, so I was, expe- I very much was expecting my emails to blow up. And I didn't get a single email. That's amazing. Not Thank a single you. one. Thank you one. for restraining yourself, people. Yeah. That's allowing 
diverse experiences and voices mm -hmm. to be heard. But, but either way, I would just say what's important for educators to hear from this message is to trust yourself, listen mm -hmm. to your gut and do what's right. Mm -hmm. What you would know? be your so you said earlier, and I agree with you, that the general public just doesn't really have a full concept of what it takes mm -hmm. to do this work and what it means. Mm -hmm. I think that there are people who listen to this who are more in line with our, you know, you know our views, right? right. <laughs> but like, what can people do? Like, what's what are actionable things? That, if 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 people believe that yes, this is a problem, and we need to come alongside our educators, we need to support this good work that they're trying to do amidst these very real challenge, you know, challenges. Mm -hmm. What advice would you have? Yeah, so. I think right now where we're struggling in public education in the state of Iowa, a lot of the decisions that are being made are happening at the legislative mm -hmm. yep. level. And so I think um, some of the things that your listeners can do is get engaged with their legislators, mm -hmm. whether they align with them politically or not, and begin having conversations with them and helping them understand their perspective and why they believe some of the things that are happening in the state of Iowa is harmful, not just to our students, but our educators mm -hmm. and what it's eventually going to do to the state of public education. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. You know, at the start of last school year, I was worried about our staffing. Mm -hmm. That last year, last summer compared to this summer, it pales in comparison. The, I'm almost certain, you know, that the school that I left be. will be left unfilled. Mm -hmm. We will be understaffed. I had to beg for the last two years for certain positions for people to come out of retirement mm. as a favor to me, right? So I, I need people to understand, like, if we, if, if, if the folks in the state of Iowa don't get it together and start engaging with the legislators. Well, no one to like, teach who's going to teach your kids? Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. we have a um, pretty Go regular back. customer who's a was an English education major. She's in, she's about to be a senior, I think. And she would come in quite a bit and she was president of the English education club and she invited me to speak. And, you know, that's the program that I went through. And, um, a while ago when I saw her, I, I asked her like, um, okay, well, like, when are you student teaching? Are you student teaching in the spring? Are you going to wait till fall? And she was like, actually, I'm not going to be a teacher anymore. Mm -hmm. And it was because of the shit that's going on. Mm -hmm. Here's a here's a young person who is really smart, who cares about the right things, and who's a leader, and who's like looking at the landscape and saying, "No, nah, thanks. <laughs> I'm not doing that." Mm -hmm. And who can blame her? I don't. <laughs> you I know? Don't. Yeah. Like. Yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, I think. Sorry, I think people like don't recognize the amount of stress it is. Um, to day in and day out, be in a room with 20 to 30 kids. Mm -hmm. with different I am stressed out being with one of my own kids that I created out of my own biological material. There you go. Right. So like, so take that and times it by 25. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I just leave it at that. I don't think people realize how much work it just takes to manage 
a classroom. Mm-hmm. Yep. We're not talking about just the, te- we're not even talking about the teaching part of it. Mm-hmm. We're talking about just the managing people of the classroom. Yeah. yeah. And so I think people just don't realize how, how, how very difficult teaching is. And in this day and age too, like, I mean, it's, it's gotten tougher, you know? Yeah. Everybody. So funding education I mean, is I, incredibly I, important. I tell yeah. people, and I think sometimes I think it's a joke and it's like literally the actual truth. Mm-hmm. It is, it was easier for me to open a business in a pandemic, like the stress of that was far less than teaching day to day. And you know what? That's actually fucked up because it should be more stressful to open a business mm-hmm. during a pandemic than it should be to teach. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's nowhere close. Mm-hmm. So we applaud all that you have done. Yeah. Well, this isn't about me. Like, I, I just want to make but, sure. But you are yeah. leaving, but it is a little bit about you. because. No, so my role in this was mm-hmm. just to really open up, um, in my opinion, people's views um, about um, how we unintentionally, because I don't think anyone in our building, yeah, I can only speak for our building. I don't think anyone in our building was intentionally harming kids. No. But how we sometimes unintentionally harm our students. And I'm just grateful that the staff was willing to be a part of those conversations and to take ownership. Like we didn't tell, like we used to be in our building, we used to have like an honors eighth grade literacy class, right? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. And so through after our critical consciousness PD, like the eighth grade literacy teachers met with me and said, like, this is problematic. We're tracking kids. Mm-hmm. They through their own consciousness yep. had proposed to eliminate the honors course. And mm-hmm. they just focus on differentiating instruction for mm-hmm. all learners within the same classroom. And they wanted to know if I would be supportive. I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> like, of course I'm yeah. supportive. Why wouldn't I be? Right. right. And so all for me, my role was just being able to expose people to a different yep. um, line of thinking uh, of how we maybe sometimes unintentionally in our actions push people away from uh, from the schooling system. And really the hard work happened in the classroom every single day. Right, like, it did, but don't undermine your own leadership. I, I'm that. not, but I just don't um, want this to be about me. I just really want people to understand that teachers really have a hard job. And our goal, my goal is to make sure that they have the resources to do the job that they were hired to do and not have to deal with all these extra things that are unnecessary that is preventing them from being able to do their job. There are two parts, though. There, the Don't put the roadblocks in the way of teachers, but make sure those teachers are conscious. Yeah, yep. I mean, and, and compensated, not, too, yeah. right? Conscious and compensated. Yeah. Um, that they need to understand the way that their approach to educating and the way their school is structured is meeting the needs of all students mm-hmm. and not you know letting a certain subset 50% of them not graduate high school, um, but to not put roadblocks or deterrence in the way of doing what's best for all students and to compensate it for it. Yeah. And we all benefit when all of our kids are educated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who wants to live in a kid? <laughs> Think about it. Like, you know, if they're not educated, they're unlikely to move out of the community. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, like get out what kind of community do you think you're going to have when there's tons of kids that are not graduating? Right. Yeah. Like it affects your quality of life. It's important. Like equity work is important. If we got to sell it to you, selfish people, you don't want a bunch of high school dropouts. Or think of equity simply as meeting the needs of every kid that walks through a building or comes through a building. Right. 
mm-hmm. and they all have different needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but people get defensive. Mm-hmm. But I appreciate your leadership, and I channel you sometimes in hard moments. She does literally channel <laughs> I'll be like, you. I'm gonna have a little Jonas right here and have a Jonas mm-hmm. moment. Um, yeah. But I feel like she has a warped reality of Jonas because she tells this story about how I you're slammed. a drama queen no you're a drama queen like she's I'm got, not a drama what the fuck so you've she, never said that to me you're just retaliating she has this very He's dramatic a dra- <laughs> give an example of me being a drama queen because well, I tells, can give a couple examples she talks about this queen. one story about how I slammed my hand and, and the staff can't forget it I, no first of all it never happened <laughs> It, it did too. It You're did so not. full of shit. <laughs> it did not. <laughs> yes, I do did. acknowledge I was upset because it was. Why a, do you think it didn't happen? Because were I, there there were probably surveillance cameras there. Not in the media center. <sighs> well, um, whose fault is that? Yeah, but either way, um, I don't even know why I brought this up. But she, so oh, I know why, because she has a warped reality of who I am. No, because I don't. She likes. To I don't exaggerate. have a bias, and I you think know. you're fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. This isn't, but I don't want this to be about me. I really want it to be about the importance of how do we support public educators uh-huh. and how we can de- debunk this false reality of critical race theory that's uh-huh. existing in our schools. Yes. Really, and, and, and honestly, uh, to circle back to the article, the one thing we didn't talk about is how unfair is it, right? Because this is where my research and my dissertation is going about the experiences of black administrators implementing critical uh, work yes. in predominantly white spaces. You right? know, here you are, mm-hmm. a black man in Ames, mm-hmm. trying to do this work, mm-hmm. and how? What? I mean, I can't, I can't imagine what it feels like because they leave. That's the end result. They yeah. leave because they're go, unsupported. Guys. And you know what? I believe that a hundred percent. And I think when I when I hear like the tone of the conversation and the things that are being said, mm-hmm. and I'm like, well, shit. If people were talking in a way that was like about who I am, mm-hmm. that's so harmful. Mm-hmm. And how and that and I understand that part of why we can't keep you names is because you have a family mm-hmm. that you're very committed to and, and that's your home. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure it has not been a walk in the park to be in names. It hasn't. <laughs> and and I, 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 we have to that we have to acknowledge that we can't mm-hmm. say, oh, we're going to solve, you know, here's here's a black person or a brown person in this space and they're going to solve this. Problem. It's not your job to solve that problem. Mm-hmm. You know what I think about? Um, and sometimes it makes me cry at night. You know, let's let's talk about the people that's in that article, right? Yeah. Um, how would their experience have been handled had they not had a black principal? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or an educator that would be in their corner. It would have been denied. Maybe. Who knows? Who knows? And so... Um, you know, you know, people ask me because, you know, I'm supposed to leave at the end of last year and people and ask probably me, the year before. The well, year before. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, there's a whole story about that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, but no, I actually submitted my resignation. You did. I do remember <laughs> yes. that. Yes. I actually submitted my resignation and was supposed to be done at the end of last year. And um, they had a search for a new principal and for whatever reason, it didn't work out. Um, but one of the major reasons why I, one of the major reasons I return is that, um, we have a group of black boys who have experienced 
time and time again under my watch as the principal racist acts where they were exposed multiple times to racial epithets and in particular from a teacher. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like maybe this was an opportunity to make sure that they make it out of the middle school okay. That is the most generous, mm-hmm. amazing thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in part, I, I just, I didn't want that group of students who had experienced that much harm in the building in which they had a black principal right. um, finish out like that. I didn't want that for them. Yeah. And so, yeah, I wanted to come back and make sure that they made it out of high school mm-hmm. and that they, or excuse me, middle school, that they made it out of middle school um, with, a, with the least amount of harm. And even as eighth graders, they still experienced some other yeah. Acts of racism from teachers. I am yeah. not kidding. That's yeah. so disappointing. So they're time and time again, the same groups of students. So then when they say, right, that's racist and people say, oh, I'm playing the race card. Like, no, that's their lived experiences. Right. This is, and I can attest to it because I've witnessed it. Right. I can win. I, I, you know, yeah. And so, um, yeah, I just, yeah, my, yeah. We we got to do better. We just got to do better, folks. We got to do better. We got to stay out of the way of educators. I believe in accountability. Don't get me wrong. This is not saying take away accountability measures. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's not create barriers. Mm-hmm. And that's where we're at. We're well, creating barriers. Yeah, don't barriers. put barriers for them to do good work. Yeah. You know, yeah. and to serve kids, which hold is ultimately the whole yeah. point. Yeah. Hold them accountable. I, hold me accountable. Hold teachers accountable. I'm not against accountability. But we're in a place where we're just constantly putting things in place to make it hard for people to do their job. Mm-hmm. And that sucks. Yeah. And what ends up happening, unfortunately, is that people decide to leave the, the field altogether, mm-hmm. which creates an ass to the shortage that exists. Mm-hmm. It is a national crisis. And this community, I believe in the fall, will come to understand w- that we're not immune to it. Because uh, I do believe we're going to start the school year off with some unfilled vacancies based off of the conversations I had prior to my departure. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, we really wish you the best and we hope that you live a very rich and happy life with your family and continuing to follow your passions. And if the rest of this country gets to benefit from them wherever you land, then they're all the luckier. But Oh, you too kind. The best. Yeah. Yeah. Too kind. Yeah. Well, thank you. I and appreciate- in the meantime, people, you know, listen up. Yeah. Jonas has left the building, but it's our work, you know, left to do. Yeah. Yeah. Pay attention. Support our educators. Yeah. Let them do their work. Yeah. yeah. And, and 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 you can still be critical, but right. let's not let's not let's not let's not operate in this false sense of reality, mm-hmm. right? Like th- yeah. there's a lot of narratives that are taking place about what's happening in public education. And I can tell you, it's not, it's not happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's all political witch hunt. Mm-hmm. It's political in nature. And we just, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You never asked me what book I read. Yeah, what book are you reading? <laughs> Attached. Yeah. Tell us about Attached. <laughs> because we sell this at the store. Did you? Yeah. So uh, this was recommended to me um, by a friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really looks at adult, the science be- um, behind adult attachment theory, more specifically romantic relationships, right? Mm-hmm. 
it's um, you know, I'm single and ready to mingle. <laughs> you, heard, you heard it here. Yeah. And so I was like, well, why can't I like? And so this person who also was struggling with some of their relationships were like, you should be detached. I heard about it on a podcast mm-hmm. and I read it and it was great. And it really just breaks down. It's by uh, Amir Levine, who's a do- medical doctor and mm-hmm. Rachel. Heller, who mm-hmm. I think works in psychology as a mm-hmm. therapist or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really based off of the science of relationship theory, mm-hmm. but then packaged so that the everyday person can read it and understand where they fall in the attachment. So what theory. have you learned about yourself? So there's three major categories of mm-hmm. attachment. Mm-hmm. Um, it is because you have very healthy relationships with your family. So you're obviously a person who can attach, but keep I going. would actually. So, yes, with families. But remember, this book is a r- romantic. So it's it's. It's limited. Like, so they talk about all of the stuff in terms of uh, adult attachment theory Mm -hmm. in general, but they limit the conversations and self-help guidance Mm -hmm. around romantic relationships. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so there's three major categories that Mm -hmm. all people fall into based Mm -hmm. off of the research. Mm -hmm. There's the uh, like a a quarter of people fall in avoidance. Right. Like as we are developing our relationship, like once you get too close to someone, that person starts to do things to push that other person Mm -hmm. away. Mm -hmm. The other. So then another quarter falls into what's called the anxious category. Mm -hmm. Right. Like they have to constantly be able to like feel like the other person is acknowledging them. They're Mm -hmm. afraid that they're going to lose them and they're over worried and overthinking Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. is this, you know, Mm -hmm. and then about 50 percent of people fall in what's called the healthy relationship. But -hmm. then there's a small like two to three percent that kind of falls in those uh, first two that I was talking about a little bit of um, anxiousness and a little bit of avoidance. I think I'm I'm in that two to three percent of which side. (laughs) Of the mixture. Both. I'm, I, oh, you're both. You have anxious I, and yeah, I, I, yeah. I haven't finished reading the book, so I'm not wow. gonna put myself in that category. But I was like, oh my god. I think like at first when things. I was reading, when I was first reading the anxiousness part, I was like, yeah, that's me. And then they moved on to the avoidance section. I was like, that's also me. And I was like, <laughs> oh so my god. <laughs> what am I? And then I was like, maybe I'm that two to three percent. But I'm not done with the book. But that's where I'm currently. You know, I'm just trying to like understand. So the purpose of the book is just to help you understand where you are in that right. attachment theory and then be able to recognize, recognize it, your it. patterns. It's kind of like critical consciousness, mm-hmm. right? Like you yeah. recognize yourself in relation to other relationships. Mm-hmm. And then are there things that are with your control, like, you know, that you can change about yourself? Mm-hmm. And then it also helps you know, like, OK, so like if you're an anxious person and you're dating an avoidance person, it's very unlikely that it's going to work. Oh, <laughs> right. Like, think Call, about it. You see it. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. That's a problematic relationship. Yeah, because you're you're worried about that person's looking, uh, uh-huh. caring about you. And that person who's like, oh, this person's getting too close. I got to go then, away. Yeah, it just creates. Yeah, so like just knowing and just kind of understanding that mm-hmm. things, I think it helps me know how I approach new mm-hmm potential relationships well, probably also like recognizing when those things crop up and be like oh okay mm-hmm. like let's think about you this should watch more. you guys couples therapy my sister Lindsay had me watch it it's a new york therapist oh, I know, i've seen i know what it is yeah, yeah it's kind of it. documentary s- s- style series tv series on the a name amazon yeah, prime uh, we don't like to talk about them, um, but um, it's very interesting to watch those patterns play out. Mm-hmm. I hear, I I see yeah. that early on in the book, they give an example about a couple from that show, The Amazing Race. Uh-huh. 
my, my husband and I would divorce if we went on the maid's Okay. Place. So they talk, so they, 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 to be able to show the different personalities, uh-huh. they use that as a, one of the scenarios. It's yeah. so I don't remember the, uh, the people's names, but it was a guy who was refusing to do a bungee jump type of course. Mm-hmm. And his like girlfriend or whoever he was dating, she was trying to encourage him. And she's like, you know, you can do it, blah, 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 all this stuff. He, was and, he like, an avoider? And he she was an was avoider. An yep. And so, but then like throughout the race, apparently I didn't watch the show. Like she constantly required him to hold his hand, her hands. And like, he didn't want to do it, you know? So like com- clearly the two were not compatible in terms of their relationship style. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they were leading the race apparently the whole time. And then at the very end, like literally right before they were about to cross the line, I don't know the exact details they lost it and because they, of their um, attachment of, issues because of their attachment issues and so when they interviewed this is in the book when they uh-huh. interviewed the the female she was able to reflect and say i don't know why i needed him to hold my hands i don't know why i needed all this stuff and so she was like taking ownership ownership and mm-hmm. so then the guy like literally like fluffs off the fact that he really what happened was that that you know because he refused to jump and like and, and if if uh eventually um does jump but that was only through the encouragement of his girlfriend mm-hmm. that's what really cost him the race but wow. he wasn't able to even acknowledge that right like he just was like you know these are just really difficult um challenges and <laughs> da, 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 all this yeah. stuff and so like you know i think about the times that i've been in relationships and like um there are times where i can think of like Mm, yeah, I'm just gonna go ahead and maybe ghost this person. I'm not proud of it. <laughs> like, like. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean. But then there's times where I'm like really feeling someone. I'm like, oh my god, do they, you know, do they like me? Do they X Y? You know. And so, like, that's why I said, like, I feel like sometimes I think it depends on who the person is that I may fall into a different category. Ooh, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. I think it's normal in the early stages of a relationship if you really like someone to mm-hmm. be anxious, mm-hmm. to be like, are do they like me as much as mm-hmm. I like them? Mm-hmm. Like, am I tripping here? Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know. We're, That's often the crutch. We 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 did the uh, we read the five love languages, yeah. mm. <laughs> which was a little bit hokey, but it has changed my perception on how I operate mm-hmm. in relationship in my relationship with my husband. Yeah, but like, I've applied this in my friendships. Yeah. So like even the little because I noticed that like so I'm a texter right mm-hmm. like and be like you didn't respond to my text message right like so I'm like are you ignoring me like I just uh-huh. start going crazy Drama queen. right <laughs> like I start going crazy because I was like I know you ain't working uh-huh. <laughs> you didn't respond to my text message. And these are just friends like yeah. these are you know and so now I'm like. I don't want to be an anxious friend. And I don't know. I Sometimes I do it just out of joking, but I just like, you know, I need to settle down, right? Like, because that person might push me away, like, or that person might equally be anxious because a lot of times they would respond like, oh, my bad, or sorry. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, I was just mm-hmm. joking with mm-hmm. you. But yeah, anyways, I find, I'm, I'm finding ways that maybe this can even apply beyond mm-hmm. just what's happening in rela- romantic yeah. relationships. But it's That's good. Cool. It's good. Yeah. People who read are our favorite people. No yeah. wonder we like you so much. Uh, well, thank you all. Like, yeah. I really appreciate this conversation. Thank you for the way yeah. the impact you've had on our community yeah. because that will last long past your time yes. here in Iowa. Yes. Well, I will say to the community of Ames, uh, thank you for allowing me the opportunity to serve. Mm-hmm. It really has been the highlight of my career. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, I'm leaving the state of Iowa. Um, but like the Ames community, especially the district, especially the Ames Middle School, have um, really treated me um, pretty well and have mm-hmm. accepted me. And mm-hmm. I just I'm just glad that I was a part of the process, to be honest with yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. We're grateful for it. And you. as someone who 
worked under your guidance and then sent my child through the middle school under your leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, personal, deep personal thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. Well, keep the champagne flowing. The book's going. Thanks for joining us for this special episode of Popping Off with Dog-Eared Books. Be sure to like, subscribe, and comment if you enjoyed this. And if you know of someone we should interview on a future Popping Off, DM us in our social media.